All right, guys. Uh, today I am joined by Rob Blair. Uh, Rob is a ex Royal Marines commando. He is now the owner of the Commando Temple, which is a insanely cool gym in Deptford in South London. And uh, he's got just ridiculously kitted out with all sorts of crazy things that you've definitely never seen before and some stuff that nobody has because he's had it all custom made so uh, i've known rob for a couple of years now through the sort of gym strongman grip training world and um very very cool guy he is um he is a, a multiple record holder in the world's strongest hand so he he he's big into grip sports he is also a uh, he does these he does these crazy crazy sort of endurance event things, um, hundred mile walks, uh, mar- you know, huge races through the desert and stuff like that, which we talk about a lot on this episode. But yeah, Rob's a very interesting and cool guy. He's um, considers himself a bit of an adventurer and explorer, and I think that that'd be a very good way of putting it. So I really really enjoyed this conversation with him. We talk about pretty much everything. Um, his time in the in in the military as a in in the Royal Marines um how he originally set up the commando temple and uh, also about all of these crazy races that he does and and even talking about him training or working with uh, martial artists and brazilian jiu-jitsu people and me trying to convince him to get into brazilian jiu-jitsu as well so uh, i really really enjoyed this conversation and uh, it's very informative and pretty pretty inspiring at a lot of points to be honest with you so um i hope to get rob back on again soon and for now i hope you enjoyed this as much as i enjoyed recording it check it out I thought that was you talking again. I was like, I've just, I've just answered that question. <laughs> this is where it's like the Truman Show. Yeah. And I just lose my mind when I'm sat opposite you. Um, Rob, welcome to the Raspberry Podcast. I really appreciate you coming Mate, down. Mate, great being here. Yeah. Awesome setup. Um, I'm really excited talking to you, actually. I was just saying before, like, I don't, I, like, obviously I love talking to jiu-jitsu guys, but um, I've wanted to get you on the entire time. I, I wrote this really at the beginning when I... When I first started doing the podcast, I wrote a long list of everyone sort of that I knew well that I thought would be interesting people, um, and you were right up the top of that list. So I really, I really. Uh, you might regret that when I start well, talking we'll about Dungeons and we'll Dragons and Warhammer. No, no, no. I'll be, everyone else will regret that. I'm well into that, so we'll be cool. <laughs> uh, so let's start off by saying, kind of, screw it. Let's just go back. I'm going to give you an introduction before the before this starts quickly, anyway, so people will know roughly who you are. But let's go back, sort of, to your childhood and stuff like that. So. You're talking earlier. You went into the army very, very young, right? Royal Marines. Royal, Royal Marines. You went. You yeah. went straight in there. Well, I did go to college, and I went yeah. through the uh, the usual route. That I suppose the usual route that a lot of people go through. But I just couldn't settle down at the time for whatever reasons. Um, and at the age of eighteen, I joined the Royal Marine Commandos, and I joined from like a like country bumpkin route, yeah, like fishing, riding a bike. Um, not doing a huge amount of activity to then um, trying to get myself in shape to be able to join what is you know seen as one of the leading the, yeah, yeah one of the, the leading world. forces that you can especially do in the UK. We're yeah. not talking about a special force like the SAS or the SBS. But, you know th- those guys alongside the Paras, they're seen as the two major ones that sure. we have in the UK, and it was tough as hell, especially as an eighteen-year-old. It took me probably two or three years just to not be suffering from what I thought was PTSD of the training <laughs> to actually um, enjoying my role and career. Yeah. 
what what um, what made you get in there? What made you want to do that? You know, when you're joining something, whether it's a cult or whether you're joining a, a faction of the military, mm. or maybe you're you know you, you like a, a group of people because they're just cool. Well, when it wasn't quite working out so well for me going down the A level route, and it wasn't because I was a yeah, I was a, a, a dumb guy. It was just I, I just couldn't. Well, sit. it's well, I, it's I, I'm not. I'm, I don't think that's the case. But I think a lot of people think that just because they're not great at education, like traditional education, they think that they're stupid. You know, mm. that's sort of the way that education in society has been has been formed, which is either you get good grades by revising and then doing exams, or you're stupid, which isn't really the case, is it? And um, if I can just hit, you know, like a something that I heard from a guy that was in the Royal Marines for 22 years. Um, I remember a colonel talking to about 200 guys once. And this, you know, all these guys are listening in. I'm sure he was coming out of all these really interesting, profound things. And there's a 22, uh, a guy that had done 22 years in the Royal Marines just stood up and said, so if I could just say, though, these guys may have all the GCSEs. Yeah. And he probably said O-levels coming out of their ears. But I tend to find that... They might know the square root of a biscuit tin, but they're buggered if they can get inside it. Yeah. And the whole room's like, well, that's brilliant. Yeah. This colonel just didn't have a thing to say about yeah, it. Yeah. You know, there's there's something to be said for what um, what you're hitting on there. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, uh, I, I interrupted you, but go on, carry on. So you, um, so that, you, you were finding that um, traditional education wasn't for you, which, for which I think at, a lot of people find. And for well. me at the time, mm. because um, as human beings, we kind of change our role with what we think we want and um, the route that we want to take. And for me, it was no different. As soon as I joined, I wanted to join the Royal Marines because I saw the pamphlet that had the Royal Marine commandos green beret on the front, yeah. cap badge, all of the history. And you're thinking, wow, I mean, that's what John, John Jay had. Yeah. You know, Johnny Rambo, green beret, that's what I want. You know, I want to do a few tours and I want to go and see every, as much as I possibly can and take myself away from this small village or small town in Norfolk of 8,000 people called North Orsham and going yeah. to Paston College. Yeah. You're like, why the hell would I want to be here when I could go and do all of this? What, what, was that something that sort of you, you were at a void and then you found that to fill it? Or was it something from a younger age that you'd always aspired to? Well, I've got family that have, you know, a few of them have been in the military. Yeah. But it definitely wasn't those guys that pushed me towards it. Yeah. It was myself wanting to... Um, go down a route which I saw as a harder option, um, probably just to go, you know what, fuck it. Mm. It's not going, it's not kind of working out with this mm. educational drive. So I'm going to prove to myself, my friends, my family that I can do something that's harder. Yeah. And um, then when I went there, I regretted that choice <laughs> because it was a lot harder. Yeah. Um, Talk me through some of like that. That what's it like first getting in there, and what's the training like? Obviously, physically, had you had you done much sport as a kid at that point? Only badminton. Yeah. And climbing trees. I'm not sure how much badminton's going to help you for all. You know, bad badminton <laughs> might help you look like you've got a tight ass, but it doesn't really start giving you some of the skills that yeah. you might need to become. You know, you're trying to become a hero yeah. by joining or you think you are when you're when you're joining that kind of group at that age and i think that i definitely wasn't unfit mm. but when i looked at the other guys that were there some of them were 15 or 16 or sorry 16 17 when they were joining um i was two or three years older than those guys but they were definitely more suited to joining sure. at that stage because they were from manchester yeah. they were from london they were from liverpool these are guys that would rip me a new arsehole, 
because I was like, that. well, I don't even know humans like this existed in sure, the UK. Yeah. People that are streetwise. Yeah. Not people that are quite happy to watch a, a float bob up and down and try to catch some roach. <laughs> you know, it's a completely different animal. Yeah. And that's why it took two to three years of hanging around with a much wider audience of people and a bigger network to appreciate that, you know what, I am going to become a really good soldier. Sure. And I did. I yeah. became a really good soldier. But it took time for me to be able to settle into that way of life. Yeah. So um, how long were you serving for? I served for eight years. Uh-huh. And I was going core commission at the time. So um, I was kind of selected from the, the ranks to kind of become an officer. Um, now you can join. And um, if you've got A-levels and degree or whatever behind you, you can be... You can kind of select that route yourself instead yeah. of being one of the grunts, like I went yeah. the way of the grunt. Um, but my commanding officer at the time said, you plus two others out of the 100 plus guys who got here at the moment, we want you to go and do officer training. We oh. know you've been here for five to six years, but you know you should have taken this route originally. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, maybe only now you could have been selected because you've grown up. Yeah. And I was also looking to go physical training instructor. These are two things that, you know, you've got an elite group and then you've got elite sections within those groups. These are two that I wanted to do because I was just being drawn to success and working my tits off and hopefully just saying to people, I know that, you know, you're really good at what you do, but I want to be in charge of you. Mm. Um, And that's what drives me. Success drives me and fear drives me as well. Fear is a massive motivator for me. In what sense? In the sense that I don't want to underachieve. And I don't like the idea of, you know, if there's something there that um, I like the idea of, I'll tell people that I'm going to do it. And then the fear, now that I've told people I'm going to achieve that thing, Mm. will make me achieve it. It's like the person putting up a a shitty picture of themselves on a fridge door. So all their friends can see it. They're 20 stone overweight. Um, and the motivation they have there is much stronger than keeping that idea to themselves. You know, you put it public. It takes bigger gonads to actually tell the world, you know, I'm going to achieve this. Eddie Hall's done the same thing. Yeah. Look at him now. Yeah, It's it's accountability, isn't it? Uh, So when you you express uh, almost ridiculous claim, it forces you, once you put it out there, it for, you, you have no choice. You can't take it back. Yeah. Yeah, you're not taking it back. So so did you find that you were always, because... I know that there are sort of two different methods that people look at for what drives them, which is sort of the, the, the need to achieve success and the need to avoid fail, failure, you know? So, so you can have one that sort of, I guess it's the carrot and the stick thing. Are, mm. you, are you running because you're trying to catch something or are you running away from something? So did you find that actually you were, it was more about a fear of failure that drived you? Because you also sort of in the same sentence you alluded to, I wanted success and I didn't want failure at the same time. Or did you find that it was actually a bit well, you of both? I think you, you kind of do both. Yeah. Because- well, I don't, I don't think anyone, everyone does. I think there are a lot of people out there who, are, um, who don't give a fuck about failing. And they just want to succeed and that they will. And those are the people who will risk, who will take every risk possible mm. because they actually don't care whether they fail. The more sort of the more shots you take at goal, the more chances you're going to have of scoring. Mm. Uh, but they don't care about missing a couple of shots. But there are other people who will be very selective about what they do, because actually more important than succeeding is never failing. So I think that you can definitely, I don't think that everyone has, and I'm sure that the majority of people lay, lie somewhere within that spectrum, um, but I don't think everyone. I hate failure. Yeah. I really hate it 
but it's a very powerful mentor. Mm. And um, if you're a motivated human being and you're a proud guy like myself, well, we are, yeah. you know, those things, you don't have to rely on just taking too many shots before you realize that actually that's painful and I'm not going to let that happen. Mm. So all of a sudden you start relying on those small successes again. I'm not talking about big successes. I'm talking about me being here on this podcast is nice. Yeah. You know, I was sitting down having a conversation. You've given me a nice fresh bottle of water. That's a small little mini success. Yeah. I'll take it. Rather than getting in the room, I've got a croaky throat and all of a sudden I sound like a bag of shit. Sure. You know, I don't want too many of those things happening yeah. throughout my day. Yeah. So whether the successes are small or large, I don't care where they are, but I suppose it's half full and half empty yeah. situations. I'm definitely, in, you know, since I've, um, even more so now that I've left the Royal Marines, I'm a half full kind of guy. Mm. And I've, I like to think I probably engineered a lot of that myself just by not delving too deep with, oh my God, why didn't that thing work out? It's usually, well, that was a load of bollocks. Mm. I better make sure that doesn't happen again. And you kind of learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And the more mistakes you have, it's only useful if you do learn from them. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just bullying yourself. What's the point in that? There's no mm. point. Um, you have to be able to learn to some degree. Absolutely. Um, so, so if you were talking about how you were looking to get into physical a physical trainer in, in the yeah. in the Royal Marines. But unfortunately, at the same time, and you see this a lot even in the gym environment or possibly on the mats, the person who is the protege, the one that is doing really well, um, they then get hurt or injured yeah. because you know they're, they're rolling every single day. They're grabbing hold of gorillas and the gorilla can't move. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh my God, that person, he's such an animal. He's a freak. He needs a zookeeper looking after him with yeah. a stick. Well, I was that guy at that point in the Royal Marines. And it was that point that I then suffered from a really bad prolapse, S1, or L5, S1. And I had, a, I had surgery on my lower back about a year later. Really? So at the eight-year mark, um, I had two lots of surgery on my lower back. What surgeries did you have out of interest? So I had um, a discectomy. Okay, they is, took out the disc. Yeah, yeah, part of the disc was removed. Um, did, you find they told that, me that, did you find that that alleviated your symptoms? or It did alleviate the symptoms. And actually, I remember even being in my hospital bed um, when I was just about to go under the knife. And I still felt like I had Buster gonad size gonads. I don't know if you know Buster Gonads, but he's a Viz character. Okay. He's Gonads. He bounces around on them like a space hopper. <laughs> okay. So at that point, you know, you have to be a bit like that when you're in the military. Yeah. You know, you try and avoid being arrogant, but at the age of 24 to 26 that I was during that stage, you can't help but, you know, you're hanging around with 100 guys. There aren't even any ladies allowed in the yeah. Royal Marines yet. You know, it's testosterone. Is that still the plus. case? The, Absolutely yeah. still the case. Yeah. But um, you have had some um, ladies now that are currently part of different groups within the military. They've now currently done the tests, and I think there's like three or four that have passed the commando tests. Yeah. So they haven't gone through the full 32 weeks, but um, there's an all-arms course where somebody who's in the army or the navy or somewhere else, they can become a commando. So they become an army commando, a navy commando, and, and they've allowed... A few ladies, excuse me, to actually do the test and they've passed. What are the tests like? Um, the tests vary for different people. It's like, what would it be like if I started rolling with one of your white belts? Probably going to beat the shit out of me. Yeah, but there's... Yeah, but I could probably tell you what was... To be honest with you, I could probably tell you what was going to happen. Um, there must be sort of... Are they not set tests? Or they are it, set tests. There are 100%. There are. So, like, what what are they? Just because I'm... I'm, I'm I'm fascinated. I had a I had a couple of army guys on um, 
made both majors in the army a couple of weeks uh, mm. about a month ago um and it really does fascinate me i thought about going into the army when i was sort of around the age that you went mm. into the army mm. and i just i just didn't do it I, that was a different path that i didn't go on and perhaps in a different life maybe i would have and i've always kind of been intrigued as to what the physical training was like you know how's you, you went in there as a fresh-faced country 18-year-old and came out eight years later as a... Have you seen those pictures where you've got a... Um, you've got somebody that takes snaps of guys before they go to war? Yeah. During yeah. and after. And you look at them and it looks like they've been in... They look like Frodo Baggins. <laughs> you know, they've gone from the Shire, they get to Mount Doom, they yeah. get home... Nobody will also talk to that weird guy. Yeah. The one that is kind of like done all that horrible shit, but you really appreciate what he's done. Yeah. Well, that's kind of like what Royal Marines training is like. You go from country bumpkin, 18 year old, and um, you look at a picture of yourself, you know, a spotty half gobbler, where you're kind of like rabbit in the headlights. And at the end of it, you're wearing your blues or yeah. you're wearing your immaculate rig with your green lid on your head. And you've just got a, a, a greater amount of steel glinting mm. back at the camera. Mm. That's such a short space of time. Mm. It's like you've just stuck a, a matrix tube on the back of their head, plugged yeah. them in, and they know Kung Fu. Yeah. All of a sudden, you've gone from boy to a man, or you think you have. You know, we know, we know better now. You know, when you, you've got a few more years on your chest and in your brain, you think to yourself, no, I became better. But it's not that you were a man, it's just that you were... You were better at living or surviving. Mm. You were more robust. I wasn't a floppy cock mm. like I used to be. Mm. Um, and, you know, you obviously wouldn't want the floppy cock during the Royal Marines and then traveling around the world and expecting those guys to be able to serve queen and country. Yeah. So uh, did you do did you do tours? Or? I did one tour in Iraq, and um, that was part of a six-man team raiding boats as they were leaving um kind of like the waterways of iraq oh holy shit it sounds really cool i mean half the boats you're going you're gonna on, let me down right like now. fishing boats and stuff you know that you're taking them down and these fishermen are looking you're like holy shit you know we've got these guys with pistols drawn on us you know we've just got fish on board so you've got all of that side of things this was 2003 when it kicked off a uh, yeah. second time um, that was the main tour I did. And that Fleet Standby Rifle Troop Team 2 that I did, yeah. we were stationed off a, um, a couple of different frigates in the Royal Navy. So you're attached to this naval boat. Sure. They're keeping an eye on the traffic, making sure that you know everything's happening as it needs to be. You then get the call. You go out, board the vessel, take it down, make sure everything's as it, as it should have been. And that's that, definitely one of the best things I did in the Royal Marines. That sounds fucking crazy. Yeah, I want some pictures. I want to know where the pictures are yeah. of my time during that. My my favourite. You didn't um, get any. I oh, know. I mean, the selfie sticks of on, on a Black Hawk helicopter didn't exist. You wouldn't take down a boat and then just start taking a selfie. couple of snaps with each other. Shit. Yeah, but um, a Black Hawk helicopter following us in on one of these. Of the Black Hawk helicopters lights off um, no across way. the water. It's like shit. Did that happen? Yeah, it happened. But How it happened long did you do was, that for? I did that role within the Royal Marines for I think about eight months we went out to Singapore we did a lot of anti-piracy stuff um, but don't think of Blackbeard and broadsiding people like Somalian you know, pirates Somalian pirates you've seen what, the film Captain Phillips like? I'm gonna I'm just like I don't even care about talking about training right now I just want you to tell me some fucking war stories well I mean you're, you're better off going to other people for war stories really? I mean I'm sure they've um, for example Dave Bulldog Beatty yeah. you know, we both know who he is yeah. at um, Genesis Gym I didn't know, you know he was um, he was ex-Roman commander as well really? but he did the Falcons campaign wow you know those guys just had a house on the back of their of their back and they yomped it from one side of the um, 
the island to another, that's a war story. And then you go back even further to the Great War and World War Two. Mm. They are yeah. war stories. Yeah. Those guys are champions. Yeah. You know, and even if they're not, in my eyes, they are. These are the guys that recently, when I went to, oh, we went to a, a charity thing at Buckingham Palace. I was going around there. I felt like I felt like I was a terrorist at Buckingham Palace <laughs> because I shouldn't have been there. And I was like, that. How the hell am I here? Yeah. Why am I here? But it was a big charity do, and um, there were loads of ex-servicemen there, kind of like wearing the medals. And there were people there that probably had like 15 medals on their chest. God Some of them looked like they're being created in Dungeons & Dragons. Really? Like, where was that campaign? Yeah. What ninth level of hell did you have to go to <laughs> to get that star on your chest? Holy shit. So those are the guys that I'm looking at and just thinking, you know, you've got some stories. You don't even want to tell me that story because you know that I'll get PTSD listening to it. <laughs> you know, brilliant, absolutely brilliant people. But man, like, what's it like raiding a, like, what's the foot, like the foot, there, there was a first time that you raided a boat. Yeah, you do it and you're thinking, I hope I don't fall in the water. Yeah. You know, when I stick this ladder on the side, you're hoping that you just get Are up. you, but by that point, like how long it went, but by the time that you did your first tour, how long had you been training for? Um, we, so what would have been, that would have been 2003. I would have been in the Marines three years at that stage. So you, you sort of wonder like, remember a lot of Royal Marines are young guys. Yeah. But, but, but you kind of, it goes one of two ways. One, you've, you've done all of this training, just preparing you for these, cause that's what like trade, you know, military training is to prepare you for when you go mm. on tour. So you've been training for three years specifically I'm talking about like the first time you did anything, you know, you draw guns on mm. other, on, on hostile mm. human beings or potentially. Um, either all of your training kicks in and it just feels like this is what I've been preparing every day for the last three years to do and it's all smooth or your no training can prepare you for this moment. What the fuck is this? This is crazy. I think if you were to go into a jiu-jitsu tournament when you were a white belt against you now you'd get mangled. Yeah. The person or the person, the black belt would play around with you like a lion playing with, you know, a hamster. Yeah. Whereas if you were to go into an ultra hostile environment like they had in the great war or some of the things that happened in the Falklands, I've heard about people um, killing somebody else with an entrenchment tool. That's a shovel. That's in your face. That shit happened during the Falklands campaign. But that kind of stuff I didn't have to deal with. It wasn't Even though we're boarding the boat, we were really slick and really good at doing that. Nothing really happened yeah. to the point where you're you're kind of faced with this massive adversity where it's like a, a fight or flight situation we were excellent at what we did yeah but when the shit really hits the fan you know you'd like to think you've had a few things that have got you better before you get there you've had like level one shit then level two yeah. then level three it doesn't go like a, a terrorist incident in london level 10 straight away you know some people react really really well in those situations that's the few. Mm. And some people run and hide. Yeah. That's the majority. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with all of those responses. It's just that some people are more predisposed. I mean, who's that? Uh, the Lion of London Bridge. Do you see that um, article on the guy recently? The Lion of London Bridge, the Millwall fan? Yeah. They said, fuck you, yeah. oh, Millwall. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Millwall fans everywhere. They're like buying beers. I mean, that's <laughs> not a normal like, response. And actually, yeah. I've seen an interview of him. He looks a little bit unhinged. Yeah, yeah so, he does, yeah. Um, Probably shouldn't um, really be too surprised. <laughs> but is it just like in the case of some some people are wired like that and some people aren't? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But you can learn yeah. some of those different qualities. And again, just like um, lifting uh, 
um, or you know, gaining your black belt or wanting to lift 300 kilos in a deadlift, you start just with a bar. Yeah. You talk about what it is you're aiming to do and then you're humble through that journey. You stay hungry and then all of a sudden you get to the 300 kilos. You know, you can't go to war from just being a civilian. Yeah. So the three years of building up to it, the things are put in place to make sure that you don't fall on your sword when you get there and you're a liability to yourself. Sure. And obviously the cliche is, or to your comrades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, look, nobody wants that. Yeah. You know, and um, I don't think I've heard of too many situations where people haven't been excellent at their jobs mm. um, when they've gone into, you know, into shitville. Mm. We like, you You kind of referenced it earlier, but did you see the video of the three police officers taking down the terrorists in London recently? Is this real recently? Because if it is, yeah, then no, the, I didn't. The last one, no. yeah, there's a, vid- there's a video that came no, out, I think I, I saw it yesterday. That. It's insane. Hmm. It's it's absolutely crazy. And um, like those are people who have had years of training probably, but almost guaranteed that they've never had to deal with that sort of situation hmm. before. Because when has that situation ever happened? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a good thing that that situation doesn't happen too yeah. often. But then you're looking at countries like Israel or, you know, others where they have to deal with worse things than we've had to over the last 10, yeah. 20 years. Yeah. Those guys have got a lot more experience. Um and I did hear that the there's a, a, a new unit um, that the SAS have now got involved with, that they're in London aiming to deal with these terrorist incidents. Oh, really? I'm very happy that yeah. that's the case. Because those are the guys I'd like to think they've got real-time experience out in, even if it's Iraq, Syria, where, you know, wherever it is. You know, I don't even hear half it's the place they go to. It's not even going to compare to anything that could happen in London. That could it? happen here. Yeah. No, they've got... And that's the reason why so many medical advances are done during horrible wars. Yeah. You know, people... Well, not even, not even just medical advances, but advanced. wars kind of push technology. It's, it forces it's, it, it. It's this terrible thing, but it, 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 it's one of the only sort of necessities, isn't it? When you're at hmm. war, you have to... You have to do things that you, you wouldn't have to, have to do otherwise. You have to be entrepreneurial. Yeah. You have to create things that, yeah, I think like the, 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 the US military and stuff like that, and even the UK military and even loads of different places. That you're talking about, you know, possibly in the future, the entire world will run off of nuclear fission. These sort of things that would be in pioneer mm. just to kill people mm. back in back in World War Two. So yeah, definitely. Let's hope there. that's what it's used for. Well, exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm hoping that this thing has got a good few feet of lead <laughs> in the Raspberry Eight <laughs> Den, mate. These acoustic <laughs> curtains around you—they are thick. Thick they curtains thick of curtains. half a mil. <laughs> <laughs> Take a paperclip, be fired up, be with a blow dart. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway, let's go. Let's get back. You're saying so you you got injured. You uh, did your back in. Was that just from degeneration from all the training, or there was um, degenerative disc disease there as well? So that was sort of heredit. That was genetic. That was um, to a degree. No, that was pretty much service as well. Service, yeah. But I'd like to think of it this way. You know, when I left, um, I was told that, and the the gurus and the you know the experts. Um, they said that I was 70% capable compared to the guy that to my right is 100%. Sure. Basically saying that I was, I had a a, a disablement upon my back of 30%. Well, I would like to think that compared to what I was, I am now, I was weak as piss then. Yeah. So with that 70% that I had, I'm thinking what kind of structure or what kind of pie chart were they looking at to say that 24 year olds, um, Royal Marine Commando Rob Blair 
100% for him is for what you need to do for his job. Yeah. But now that I've lifted a 504 kilo partial deadlift in a squat cage, yeah. at like 85 kilos or lifting more weight than the Dinny Stones combined on um, replicas and, and doing all these other horrible things, there is no way on God's green earth I was doing that shit at the time. Yeah. So that 30% that I lost, I would have been Superman if I'd have kept yeah. it. I think with, with, with when medical professionals give sort of generalized answers to these sort of issues, they're dangerous. talking about. Well, it is dangerous if people take everything that doctors say is gospel. And obviously, in some cases, you need to really consider it and get second opinions and stuff like that. Um, but when they're giving you these answers, they're talking about the average person, you know, and well, you, you, you by sort of the what you've just said that you've done are very far from the average person you know like i've had i have a, a l5s1 disc problem as well mm-hmm. i have a herniated disc which i've had for five years now and the doctor said they wanted to operate you're not gonna be able to function you're not gonna be doing this and that and whatever you know and, and, and you're still the ape yeah exactly well i'll try um but the, these are these are sort of what they'd say to people what they believe based on experience from the average you know so i don't think um with with a lot of people and 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 there's there's examples of people i remember there was a guy in the ufc who um and and there's been loads of examples of people getting into car accidents bike accidents who said they'll never play sport again Mm. and then going on to win ufc titles and stuff like that uh there was a guy in the ufc who had one peck literally literally had one peck he didn't have a chest Literally didn't have a chest. And he was fighting professional MMA. You know, they said, like, you're never going to be able to throw a punch. And this guy's... So, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people, they'll go go to a doctor and the doctor will say... He was the people's champion, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was good. I can't remember. Obviously not good enough. I can't remember his damn name. But he was cool. He was was really old school. Um, (laughs) It was like Dan the B. Severin era. It was. It was probably just after that era, I think. Fuck, his name will come back to me. It's like right on the tip of my tongue. Um, So you... Those horrible things that that can occur, mm. um, they they really, a lot of the time they are opportunities for growth, and um, you know that scene in Fight Club where Brad Pitt holds the gun up to the guy's head yeah. at the petrol yeah, station, yeah, yeah. And is that and now you're going to die? He's yeah. Like, yeah. And then he's like, when he goes home today, he's gonna have the best food he's ever had. Yeah. He's gonna say this to his missus. He's gonna do this. You know that? Wow, that's pretty profound. Yeah, because that does happen all of the time. People that get over cancer, people that were almost hit by a car, yeah. people that survive something, or people that um, they're in a horrible relationship and then they get out of it somehow. Yeah. And I think those guys are going to become champions at something, even if it's championing themselves and enjoying their life. For me, I decided that when I got injured that you know I wanted to make sure that I became a good therapist and a good trainer because I was selfish. Sure. And I want to look after number one. And now that I've looked after myself, I'm able to look after other human beings as well. And I like to think that, you know, I do a pretty good job of, of making sure that they and I get the most up-to-date stuff that we need. Mm. And I don't like the cotton wool approach unless you need it. Yeah. So cotton wool's great. You know, if I need to put it on somebody with the words that I use, then I will do, but it won't stay there. Yeah. It'll quickly get taken off like layers of an onion. Sure. And we'll get back to the real deal, which is the, the center of what makes them tick. Yeah. So you, so after you left the, uh, the Royal Marines with this injury, uh, you say you went into studying sort of physical therapy. Yeah. So I, um, um, 
the, the Royal Marines, they, they do look after you. you know, I, I give them due on a, a lot of things. And um, they gave me around about £5,500 that I could use to further my education before I even left. Wow. So by the time I left, I'd done my level three uh, premier diploma in personal training. It's like massage bolted onto it as well. Um, when I was still in, I went and did what was one of the best um, sport and remedial massage quals that you can do in the UK, which is the London School of Sports Massage, Mel Cash's. That took me a year and a half to, to get through. So I did some pretty heavyweight things. Not that the personal training diploma is heavyweight. Sure. I'm just saying. You know, it felt like it was yeah, heavyweight yeah. at the time. That was me getting my white, yeah, white well, belt with exactly, a stripe. Exactly. So, like, the, it, it, it may not seem like much compared to now, but when you've got nothing, that's the exactly. step the first step on the on the path, isn't it? It's you've got nothing in your hand. You can't buy food. Somebody gives you a tenner. Yeah. You know, at the time, it means a lot. So, um, even before I left, you know, I was doing pretty well with my level of education. And I decided to leave and not join any gyms because... I just couldn't be asked. I thought I'd be able to do a better job if I just operated in the parks by myself. I bought myself um, eventually a Land Rover Defender, old school one, 14 years old, put a black wrap on the thing, um, and it was at the time Commando Fitness Trainers. It became Go Commando Personal Training. I ply-lined it in the back, loads of kettlebells, Bulgarian bags, a bloody Atlas Stones in there at one point. I had a pull-up bar that slid out the top. I rocked up in that thing. It was like, Here's Commando Rob. Mm. It was like B.O. Baracus you were expecting I've to seen get it out. And it's fucking badass. Oh, it was. Um, You've got rid I've, of it, haven't you? Oh, I've got rid of it. He's fucked up, man. Yeah, I have. I've did you, totally get, a, did you get a new Defender? Or? I got a new one. I got the. So that was a 110. And um, that thing was. I don't want to talk about it. It's making me upset. Anyway, the, I've then up. got a 90. Are you fucked up, man? I got, a, um, I got a new one. I got a 90 because I thought. I was did you pimp that one out as well? Yeah. This 90, which most people would be like fending lines off with, was fending off dickheads and boy races and yeah. buses in London <laughs> and absolutely love that thing but now that I'm 36 years old I've got a missus I've got a puppy I want to travel to the mountains I want to do all these other things yeah I've got um, other responsibilities mm. I'm like I can't just have my two-seated defender sure yeah but now I want it back <laughs> I'm getting it back do you know who you sold it to was it someone that you knew or was it it's probably best I don't know oh shit because in the words of Liam Nielsen I'll find them, and I'll them. <laughs> that's what I feel about it Look, one day, if it's meant to be, you'll see. You'll drive past your I'll old drive defender. drive past it and you'll I'm going to rip him it. out of the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. GTA so style. It's, yeah, it's just going to be, uh, well, it'll be that. Or it's going to be like Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Get out. <laughs> and then the guy just jumps out the helicopter. And I just like the Terminator, just drive off at it. That's it, man. Uh, I'll go your back if that ever goes down. Uh, so, yeah, you had you had your defender. You had the, the commando wagon. And you were running just boot camps in, in the park. I didn't call it a boot camp yeah. because being ex-military, me calling it a boot camp would feel like somebody just snatched all my testosterone out of my body. Sure. So um, for me, I just call it like my commando class. Sure. I used to do a session in gym box that um, when I rocked up there, it was just commando Rob is going to be taking a class today. Yeah. It was a way for me to kind of put myself out there in the city. Show well, it's a bit of a hook, else. isn't it? Yeah, the commando class sounds rockers. Yeah, it was the and they have got a, a color grading system of um, how they do the classes. So let's just say pink was I don't know um, kangoo class, yeah. or it might be fluffy titty bells class, yeah. or whatever. 
Anyway, on the far I, I right. I want to go to that class. Yeah, so I, want, I want to go to that class. I better not say I want to. But, you know, it's obviously floating there somewhere in my brain. It's like 15 year old, still fact, thinking about it. The fact that that was the first thing to come out of your yeah, mouth. Yeah, straight after the class. And um, Hooters has got a lot to answer for, though. Going to the States. And then on the far right, there was in black, commando class. Yeah. And people used to go there and they were reborn. Yeah. It was like the predator was taking out your spine and putting in one forged steel. Sure. That's what I thought I was doing nine to ten years ago. Now my approach has slightly changed, but when I've got guys that are still joining the military, which I still get, um, or I'll get um, some news agencies contact me and say, we want you to put these actors through their paces so they can feel what it's like to be in the military. I'm like, oh, this is going to be sweet. Yeah. This is going to be so good. This is like the opposite of what I now currently do. But it's what you, it was like, go back oh, to your roots. Like, yeah. Yeah. Back back to being real hardcore. Yeah. But now it's, um, my main focus is removing crippling pain, mm-hmm. whether that's in the brain or in the body and making somebody as strong as fuck. That's almost like my strap line. Remove yeah. the pain, make them strong as hell. Yeah. Um, you know, I said that to Rick Brown, Mr. Mace man recently, he was at the temple and he's like, hell man, that's a, it's my American accent. Yeah. Hell man, that's like a cool t-shirt right there. And I was like, yeah, that is a t-shirt. Yeah. You know, half the shit we wear on T-shirts, we've, we've got them from other people. Yeah. Or we're wearing other people's brands. This is my brain. Yeah. You know, I just want a picture of a gorilla that's kind of like ripping a man in half like a pair of curtains. Yeah. Um, but then you're kind of like reforming again. And there's no pain there. You know, it'd be perfect. Some that's of it cool. can be horrible to actually um, get rid of the many layers of rust that some of my clients have and athletes have. But um, generally, when you see them starting to remodel, reshape themselves into something better, which, like I was saying downstairs a minute ago with um, Andy as well, that is entirely based on my bias. What Mm. do I think is best for that person? Entirely the influences that I've had to date. Mm. In five years' time, it's going to change again. I hope it's a better version, but we'll see because... um, who knows? Yeah, who knows? Exactly. You know, everything everything changes. You look at yourself five years ago, all of your, the way that you think, the way that you train, mm. it, all, it all changes with time, doesn't it? But you're always hoping that it's improving anyway. You don't want to get, you don't want to get worse. Um, so at which point, so you, you were doing commando classes in the park. How long were you doing that for? I did those for about six years, I think it was. So for about- Do you do them year round? Oh, yeah. I'm so like, like in the middle of fucking year winter. round, I'd rock up in winter because because the principle of training in the park is awesome, but I can't. It just it's we're in England. That, yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> but if you were an ex Royal Marine commander, you don't give a rocking shit. up in the park. No, you care. Oh, oh, you care. You jump in your wagon afterwards. You stick a heater on that doesn't work, and oh, yeah. that's the kind of shit that you're, you're, you're waiting there for like 15 minutes for your heater to work. And yeah. this Land Rover that's 14 years old, <laughs> you get pissed. You know, you you're kind of like jumping in bakeries. You. Kind of like wrapping yourself in cardboard boxes, throwing straw in your cabin, just trying to heat up. You feel like setting it alight, but then you're worried if people are going to save you when all you're trying to do is get warm again. (laughs) But but yeah, you do that for a number of years, and I've got good friends in the industry that still do that. And I suppose I didn't mind because um, I had my own environment and I was doing my own thing. Yeah. If I had somebody else I was working for that said, you're going to be doing that, you'd be like, oh, God, yeah. it's so cold today. Yeah. But you can't really bitch about something you've decided to do. Yeah. Like, you- oh, this is so bad. I've got to train that person. Or I've got to get up at six in the morning. I did an outdoor hill session in Greenwich Park. Started six in the morning, went on until seven in the morning. And I did that for four years. God, what, I- daily? 
Oh, no, this is just a, a Friday what, morning. Once a week, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you what, I've not done that for four years, and I still see on social media that the group that I used to take, they still, still go there, wow. even though I'm not there anymore. You know, that's wow. really, really cool. You know, it's like a lasting impression of yeah. the horrible pain that I suffered of scraping away the ice off my eyelids <laughs> for, that, uh, for those winter months. But, you know, you can call it character building or what you want, but that led me down the garden path of, you know, I've done all this stuff outdoors, working with minimal apparatus and equipment, in the commando temple where I've got a silly amount of apparatus and equipment Insane, that yeah. most people never need to use, 99% yeah. of it, I still like the expensive things yeah. to use for my sessions. A wall, a broomstick, a rubber band, some body weight. It's like, I don't need to use all of this cool yeah, shit with you. Yeah. That there is for people that want to work on the specificity of that sport. Mm. But with my clients, they'll, they'll tell you they hardly ever use it yeah, because they don't the- deserve to at that point. Okay. When they deserve to you use to, it. You have to earn to use the specialist stuff. Well, they have to earn it by moving better. Yeah. So why would I get somebody flipping a big horrible tyre when it's got nothing to do with them improving the quality of their function of their knee sure, yeah. or their back or spine? You know, I, I think that when somebody is moving better, then you, know, and you improve their range of motion, you improve their mobility, um, how the movement patterns are just looking and feeling. Um then they deserve to start loading their body up with something which is possibly more specific, mm. whether that's strongman, powerlifting, um, even calisthenics with some of the more advanced movements. You know, let's really get the basics right first before we deserve to push our clients over there. As a coach, if you're causing harm, uh, long-standing harm and discomfort onto your clients, you're a shit coach. Yeah. Um, I don't want to put any specific person down there because I think most coaches at some point have had situations where an injury's occurred when you've been training a client and then you look at it and go, shit, was that my fault? That was Could I have yeah. done it better? Yeah. But genuinely, hand on heart, I can usually look at it and go, no, these are like things that sometimes just shit happens. It happens in sport. It happens a lot in competition. Freak, freak accidents freak do accidents. happen in training. Any time you're pushing your body to even near the limit, sometimes you can sometimes just step slightly over that edge. So some people might refer to it as prehab. So yeah. where you do loads of rehab before you you do loads of prehab before you get to the stage of having to rehab yourself if you've got kind of like this mission statement where you're saying to somebody you've said to me that you're currently in pain you want to get rid of the pain and you want to go and do this thing over there mm. okay well i'm going to get rid of your pain and now i'm going to make sure that thing doesn't happen again, again yeah. by turning you into this cyborg yeah and you've told me to do this and um, again, I'll refer back to Terminator 2 Judgment Day. He says, I don't want you killing anyone. Yeah. Where he shoots the guy in the leg. He's like, I told you not to kill anyone. He's like, he'll live. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you've told me that I want to remove your pain. Well, I'm doing this long term. Yeah. You're still going to have to do all this remedial shit over here on the left-hand side. But it doesn't mean that, you know, you forget about the foundation. The pillars and the walls of the house are what you bang the roof on top of. Mm. The roof is one of the last things that we stick on. Mm. You know, let's get, you can get some bloody polythene sheeting over it. You and th- that roof is the is sort of the specific strength training once you've made sure that the walls and the foundations are strong. The foundation is obviously the fundamental. And that might be a foundation of skillful movement. It might be a foundation of improving the way that their brain adapts to you being able to train with them. Yeah. Um, and the great thing about renovating people is that every renovation is different. You don't know what's hiding underneath the plaster. Yeah. You get under there, there's some horrible shit that every carpenter or plasterer will tell you, oh my God, that job took another week. Or maybe that client's going to take another week because you didn't realize that actually they got some dickhead 
at home, otherwise known as their partner, who's mm. sabotaging your um, you know, your gains mm. with that client. So I like to bring their clients, I like to bring their um, partners on board as much as possible. Really? I have about 16 pages of paperwork that I ask them lots and lots of specifics. And I reckon 80% of my clients cry at some stage. Um, and I don't even feel bad about making them cry because I'm not... What are they crying about? I mean, I'm not sticking um, crocodile clips on their nipples or yeah. anything. And, um, unless they, pay, a, they had to pay extra for that they pay twice <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's two services Put a nipple. Um, but uh, again where your brain wanders to <laughs> um, but the kind of things that I'm talking about are could you tell me about the biggest people drainers you've got in your life Yeah, and they will start talking about people and I'll say so why is that person still there if you know that that person isn't an asset for you leading a really good quality holistic life mm. guess what a lot of people cry about that because they don't, it, they don't, the truth can be very difficult, can't it? Pandora's box. Yeah. You open it up, you're going to be not appreciating what comes out of it. Yeah. But if you really want to get to, um, like somebody might need to improve their golf swing when they're a pro, and then somebody who's more pro says to them, you have to kind of like go back to basics again and hold it differently. I'm saying to these people, look, you can walk, swim, run, jump, crawl, and laugh, but you might be able to do all of those things better if you go back 10 steps mm. and we start it again from here. Mm. that takes again big balls to do yeah um but when they're paying you to offer that kind of explanation then i'm happy to go through that journey with them but do you think a lot of people don't expect you to start talking about uh who they spend their social time with when 100 percent. you know they've, they've, they've come to see you to teach so i think i i don't know if you find the same with your clients but i think a lot of people who get a personal trainer um especially if they don't know specifically you know someone gets a two words yeah so two words but dirty phrase but they get someone to train them um or coach them what 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 would what would you call it coaching i well i use the word renovation okay but i i don't really have... but that's very specific to your sort of personality that's yeah. not what yeah and um what would you define yourself as i'd define myself as a guy I don't actually have titles okay. so much. Um, we advertise keywords as being things like personal trainer, yeah, rehab, yeah, um, S and C coach, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you want people to find you because that's people, what they're going to be saying. If people can't find you, then you're never going to be able to help anybody. Sure, yeah. So you know you need to no, wave no one's the googling no one's googling Rob Blair renovator exactly. <laughs> so so um, but 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 you see like when people come and they. They think they're getting a personal trainer. They're not. They're getting you who's going to try and renovate them. They think they're getting a personal trainer and they think that you're just going to make them sweat for an hour twice a week. Mm. That's all they're paying you for. Mm. And then suddenly you start going, let's bring your husband in and see why, what he's doing, what, what the problem is. Let's, you know, see who, what are your friends doing. 5% of the time, I don't stay with those clients. Yeah. So I reckon 5% of the clients that I take on, I sack them, get rid of them. Do or you, we do, mutually agree that that person needs to go with somebody else on the team. So so do you sack them because you think they're going to be harder work or do you kind of try, they aren't responding to you at which point you sack them? It's almost like a card system. Yeah. Okay, well, you fucked up. Um, just so you know, I've noted it. Yeah. And why did it happen? And if there's a really good reason, and I can be like that, you know what? That's a bloody good reason. You know, we have a conversation about it. Just so you know, you're here because... I want success out of this relationship as much as you're thinking you're paying for it. Mm. But I always lay it on thick at the start. I'm like, if you end up doing things that you're not expecting to do, 
or you're telling me that you're not going to do, and then you go and do them, there has to be a good reason. And if you're just doing it because you're lazy in this relationship, that's going to piss me off. Yeah. Because I'm not lazy in this working relationship. That's the reason why I've got the commando temple. That's the reason why I'm still a coach after 10 years. I enjoy what I do. And if you're going to be a shitty client, you're going to take away that joy. Well, I'll, I'm happy to get rid of you. Mm. You know, I don't care how much money they're, they're paying me. Um, on numerous occasions, I've kind of just given people their, their cash back and said, you have to go somewhere else. Because I don't want to look at you like you're a shitty client every single time you turn up. I love that. Um, and it's just, you know, that doesn't happen enough. But, mm. uh, you know, it's not, a, it's a not lot something people, that people can afford to do. Exactly. A lot of people can't afford to turn clients away. They have to. And, th- and that's sort of the almost toxic nature of the um, industry, which is when you're passionate about something, you're working with someone who isn't passionate about it. You're trying to train someone and get someone better. And you're thinking about at night, how can I make this person better? You know, it's the same with jujitsu as well. I, and, 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 and I'm very, very fortunate that I've haven't really had to turn many people away from training them. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'll go home and I'll think, how can this guy, this guy's struggling to pass God? What is it about him? Well, he's a tall guy. He's really a lot of space here. And I'm, I'm thinking about stuff to improve that person. And then you go in and you say, I've been thinking about, I've been thinking about you passing God and I want you to start trying it this way. If that person is then going to be a lazy fucking guy, ah, I can't be asked. I just, you know, I'm just going to keep on playing. You know, I'm going to go on my back the entire time. I don't care about passing God. Mm-hmm. You're kind of just like, well, well, f- the fuck am I bothering then? But a lot of people don't have the, they have to take those people on. They don't have a choice, do they? So you're sort of in a lucky position where you have the freedom to be able to say no to people who are going to. Well, change luck. Graft. Yeah. I've grafted myself into that position Um, because luck definitely plays a part or we feel like it is. Luck's a a bad word. I don't believe in luck. You've been, you're fortunate enough that you've worked your way into that position. I don't think fortune doesn't necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily come from luck. It can come from anything, but you're in a position now through your hard work in the past where you're able, well, was there a time where you would be unable to say no to these people? There have definitely been times where I'll look at my bank account and go, I'm shit out of luck. Yeah. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know, I need to get some more coin. Yeah. And, um, somebody will contact me and they're not an ideal client, but these are mostly times where I worked for myself sure, and I couldn't actually refer them to anybody else. So I thought, you know, they're not my ideal clients. You have to I'm going to be better for these than somebody else. Now I'm in a fortunate position where I, I work with a team of guys that I've brought, as, brought on as apprentices. Three of these guys were unemployed. They're now training the trainers. You know, these guys are really bloody good at what they do. That's not all down to me, but I've kind of given them some weapons and skills to use and they've just ran with it and they've grown into that position. And I'm really, really happy for those dudes. And now I can refer to those people yeah, because those guys have got a more suited personality in some cases to work with that individual. And, um, and that might be because they're more lenient in some regards. Well, they haven't been a coach for as long as you have. Maybe they haven't been a coach <laughs> and they're not a nasty bastard. Ask them, ask them in 10 years' time. They'll be referring those annoying clients. They'll be referring to, them to me. Well. <laughs> I'm like, oh, thanks for referring them. I've fallen on hard times, Fitz. <laughs> and there I am just um, in the park again with my defender. <laughs> I'll be happy with that. That's fine. There you go, mate. Back to basics. Um, so, yeah, you know, we kind of we've been talking about the Commando Temple, but kind of let's go. You went at a point you went from defender in the park. What made you decide that actually I'm going to open a full time facility? No matter how big your vehicle is, 
Have you seen that vehicle in Universal Soldier where they all get out the back? Yeah. It like opens up with the sides of steam, there's yeah. mist. Yeah, I didn't have one of those. <laughs> so I needed I needed something that um when you're getting out there um in the park, instead of having a defender and I started wanting to use larger items. Um You feel limited by what you can fit in the back of your car. Totally limited. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I needed, I needed something where I had much more space available, and that's when I started looking around for, you know, a couple of thousand square feet. At the moment, I've got three thousand square feet in southeast London. It's around Deptford, which is up and coming, but it's still yeah. gritty, a yeah. grittier area. It's not like your Dulwich, it's not your Clapham, it's, you know, it's nowhere in the north. Yeah, um, it's just, you know, it is what it is. And when you go down there now, it's. Um, I've got room to move, play. It's a song. It's a song. It's a strong, um, safe environment which is clean, where I can get people getting down to their pants if need be, moving around. I can assess them. I can do a much greater amount of testing. Um, that kind of stuff is frowned upon in the park. You know, yeah. you get somebody down to their pants and they just start getting them walking up and down a patch of grass. It's just um, you can't really do it all year round either. Yeah, you don't even want to do it in the gym, to be honest. There's no heating in there. It's like a bloody fridge. (laughs) So um, that's not to make them tougher because you see all the coaches wearing body warmers Mm. and woolly hats and bear skins and stuff. But um, now we've just got a huge amount of room to be able to improve on what we're already doing really well. And you need a base and an HQ that people now come to me. The same way that I've come to you today because. You know, that is right, and that's the way it needs to be. You've set this thing up. Yeah. I travel to you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's like, oh, my God, you've got the commando temple facility. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got some bad shit in there. I've not seen anywhere. Yeah. I mean, where'd you get that? Didn't get it. Made it. They're like, oh, my God, I'm coming back. Yeah. You know, that's the commando temple. So now people travel to us, and they travel to us from abroad on some occasions just to kind of, like, network with us or be with us or deliver educational courses. I didn't have the opportunity to say – my Land Rover's parked in this parking space. Mm. Why don't you come over here and deliver your barbell cert that people widely regard as being one of the best? Mm. You know, it's just not going to happen. I needed somewhere that um, there was more prestige to what we did. It's yeah. like a posh garage gym. Yeah, it with is. With all the, all the bells and whistles. Yeah. And, and how, how did you sort of... It's a very, very successful gym. And it's a very popular gym. And I don't know if it's very popular because I know you and i know a lot of the people who train there and therefore we're kind of alluding to it earlier which is you know who you know well you you think things are a lot bigger than perhaps they are because you're in that world Mm. and i've said it i'm I'm sure i've said on the podcast before like for me i think that brazilian jiu-jitsu is the most mainstream sport in the world Mm. and roger gracie is bigger than brad pitt because Everyone on my newsfeed and everyone that I hang out with and everyone I talk to, that's their life. Mm. Um, and it's probably the same. Like I see all the commando temple stuff and I see all the people training there and I see the guys that you get down there. It seems, you know, it's a very, very successful gym. What is it that you've done that you feel you've done differently to other gyms possibly that makes the commando temple stick out? Well, I remember when. Mark Twite and Rob McDonald came over probably five, six years ago and delivered their Jim Jones cert. Because um, I do love getting on these certs and seeing how people deliver education. Mm. You know, that's that's really cool. You can kind of poach all the best bits. Yeah. It's like you're going to a different teacher you don't usually have. Yeah. You end up passing guards slightly differently. For you now, it's like 
such a small little tweak. Yeah. Like holding a breath. I don't know. I'm like talking like yeah, bullshit. Yeah, I don't yeah. do your stuff. Yeah. But you know what I mean? You, you kind of like, you get to the tweaking stage when you've got a big broad bass. You kind of like work out what it is. Well, he said to that group of 30 coaches and trainers, um, he said, you know what? It's really easy if you're in your own environment all the time to believe your own bullshit. Yeah. It's a good idea to step out of it every now and again. And I was thinking, you know what? And it stuck home with me at the time. It's just one of hundreds of things that I remember from what educators and, and people have said. But that for me basically means that I need to make sure to keep hanging around with a number of different mentors and guides so that I don't become clouded thinking that the commander temple is the best it's ever going to be. I've constantly um, put myself on different educational courses or got new coaches and trainers involved. I have so many people delivering workshops and courses there because I want to put all my coaches on it and I want to see what they do um, so that we remain current. And that's a great way of all those gurus, some of them more guru than others, mm. Um, to me at that this stage of my life um, that I think you know what what you're delivering there is what I probably needed five years ago yeah but now I'm looking for the next guru or the next guru of this there are more spe- I think you've got a workshop on at the moment isn't it just there's, it's like there's one that was I want to call it I'm going to do a disservice to it it was a very specific thing that you were giving a workshop on uh, butterfly guard I wanted to say it's something butterfly. Yeah. But I didn't want to... Go for it, mate. I, I, yeah, I wasn't so 100%. your instinct was correct, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, um, it was there. I mean, but you've got a group of people now, a group of animals mm. that want to learn the specifics of that movement. Yeah. For me, we had the mace at the weekend. Most people look at them and go, why have you got that thing that belongs in Braveheart? Mm. Why are you swinging it around your head? I'm thinking, why have we not? That's a piece of kit that most people don't need to use, but I want to use yeah. it. Because I want to use it, that's why it's here. Because the things that I like, I want in my facility. Mm. That's my home. You know, if you're going to step into my home, you probably like how my home is. Yeah. If you don't stay, maybe it's for a few reasons, but it's definitely not because you've been treated badly. Yeah. Because all of us are absolute professionals down in the gym. We welcome everybody. And that's the reason why I have so many different educational systems there. Mm. Because I've attracted so many different people from otherwise different worlds to operate under that one space. Yeah. You know how difficult it is getting lions, tigers, bears, and dinosaurs interacting and not ripping each other apart. Yeah. It can be hard. But the thing is, they've all got mutual respect for what each other wants. Yeah. And when all the lions, bears, and tigers, they all get together and they create the commando temple, you're like that. Fuck me. Yeah. I'm the strongest zookeeper in the world. <laughs> Above, this is like Jurassic Park. Yeah. And even a bloody... Defender, mm. you know, Land Rover Defender wouldn't keep you safe. Mm-mm. The only thing that keeps you safe is you telling them that they're doing a good job and you help them out sure. achieving their dreams. You know, it's the best way that I can describe the Commander Temple. Loads of badasses under one roof. We attract lots of other people that want to be badasses or are those people because they just admire the fact that we're not just running for the money. You know, that's yeah. not what we're doing down there at all. I'm not a guy that you know is charging towards wealth. It's like a picture. It was um, uh, Daniel Bazotta. It was um, give me a bit of a shout out there from TSG, I think it is. Uh-huh. So um, he put this picture up of this guy that's just chasing money. It's kind of blowing in the wind, yeah. And he's just constantly salivating after the money. All of a sudden, he he gets to it, and he's right on a cliff edge, and this is the end of his life. Yeah. He's been chasing money his entire life. The money goes over the edge. 
It's like, well, actually, that wasn't important, but I've missed all of these things along the way. Wife, family, kids, education, mm. travel. You know, why the hell would I want to chase the money when the money is still going to be there when I'm dead? But yeah. all of these opportunities, they won't be anymore. Honestly, couldn't give a fuck about them. For me, it's just enriching my life with good quality human beings, having good banter and morale, you know, collecting Dungeons and Dragons models if need be, <laughs> and um, and exploring the world. Yeah, That's where I want my next focus to start heading towards, taking people outside of the gyms back to what I used to do. Um, but I've still got the gym there. It's like all the focus, entrepreneurial, uh, Commando Rob, Commando Temple. I've now got my HQ. Now we spread like a virus. Yeah. And we start taking it outdoors. I still do a lot of things outdoors. Well, that kind of segues us quite nicely onto all of this outdoor stuff. So as well as doing uh, sort of in your past being in the, the Royal Marines and then opening the Commando Temple, you do some batshit crazy stuff. Really fucking crazy stuff. And um, the last time I saw you was at, uh, was at the British Grip Championships, which mm. we'll talk about in a little bit. And you were telling me how you're preparing for the... Marathon de Saab. Marathon de Saab. Or was it the Dreadnought? It was the Marathon de right. Saab okay. uh, in Morocco. Hmm. Which is, explain, it, it, it's 26 miles, right? It's 155 miles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, I'm okay. glad that I'm going to explain this. Okay. okay. I definitely don't want that <laughs> trauma traumatic time in my life being downplayed. <laughs> so um, that's like you doing a shark tank with all the Gracies. And say that you rolled with saying, a blue belt. I rolled with, I rolled with this blue <laughs> yeah. belt. Yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> let's talk about that, Matt. Uh, well, look, we're talking about doing things that I didn't even know exist, things that I still don't understand why they exist. You're talking about ultra, in, uh, ultra endurance? It's the opposite end of the spectrum to my grip competitions that I do. Yeah. Um, you've oh, got, but that's what you were calling it. It's ultra endurance. Stuff. It's super endurance, ultra endurance. Um, what, what the fuck got you started in that? We'll talk about the Marathon de Saab soon, but um, what, what got you in? Why are you doing that stuff? Is that Does that go all the way back to your commando training where you were doing? I imagine that in the, as oh, part of the military. fat, lazy ex-Royal Marine commandos now. You yeah. know, I, at the moment, am a product of my previous experiences and things that I enjoy. So I don't need to do the, the greatest challenges straight away when I'm growing up. You know, a lot of these things where we get PBs, mm. a PB for somebody is walking out of their front door because they're psychologically scarred. And last time they walked out their door, they're beating the hell up by 10 people. You know, I want to get those people outside again, but I'm going to walk by their side. So for me at the moment, now doing these what we call extreme things, they're like just things. They're things that I've wanted to do for a long time. But I couldn't do them at the time because I didn't have the skill set required. In that case, actually, it's bloody expensive. That race, so it's like really? four grand. Are you serious? Four grand. And then you've got to buy all your kit and equipment. Why is it so expensive? Um, I'll tell you why it is. Because the person that runs it has decided he's to run it genius. in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Yeah. And there's nothing there. Oh, really? And um, he's got two helicopters that they've got to use for getting people in and out because there was two heart attacks there when we were there just, just two, emer six days, two emergency emergencies people um man let, 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 let's talk about this the marathon <laughs> deserves let's do it right now we'll go back and talk about how you got into this let's just because everyone's going what the hell is this it's a 155 mile desert race through the sahara desert yeah 
at what temperature was it? So it got up to about 55 degrees. Jesus. But that's that's hotter than usual. Right. So we were told it was... It yeah, probably no shit that's hotter than usual. Hotter than usual for the desert. <laughs> so it. Um, it was... Um, what, like, why does that... Ex- like, what, what's the history of that race? The history is that the, the why? founder... Why? I, I want to know why. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the guy that um, was there um talking to us every every morning because i wasn't really paying attention to him i was looking at the desert in front of me Mm. but the guy that set it up one day he decided you know i want to see if this is possible and he went out into the desert and the story goes that he kind of like went out there for a number of days and explored the wilderness and blah 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 they were like some did he didn't he things yeah um and Makes a nice background story. Yeah, the and then that was 32 years ago. This was number. This was um, the 32nd year of the MDS, and now he challenges people to do these five marathons over six days, and it's around about a marathon a day, but you carry all of your own food, you carry your own sleeping system, all of your clothes for the week, everything you need. The only thing you don't carry is your water. I'll tell you why that is because. I drank 75 litres of God water damn. in six days. That's 75 kilos. Yeah, you couldn't carry that. No, you couldn't, of course you can't You couldn't it. carry that. So, and everything they regulate by you having a card that they punch holes into. So they know exactly what you've drank. Yeah. And they know what you've taken. They make sure you're drinking enough. Yeah, I mean, they... So, so do they drive next to you with water or... No, you've got checkpoints every like 10 to 12 miles. So um, the, the shortest, 12 miles. <laughs> that's like God checkpoints. I mean, one of the days is called the long day. So after three days, that sounds that sounds like some Game of Thrones shit. The long the, day, the long day, the longest day of your <laughs> life. <laughs> um, but like, how long? How long does it take? Because this is a walking race. No, this is uh, you get round race. So it doesn't have to be walking. It could be running. It could be bear crawling. I mean, let me. I mean, I'll hit that home in a minute. There were yeah. two blind runners doing it this time two people that were clinically blind and they were going around there and actually they didn't get around but fair play to them wow you know, bloody hell they're getting around there was one guy that was in my tent group um duncan that people might have seen on the telly he had both his legs blown off from the knee wow. so he was actually in our tent at the time as well he didn't make it the previous year he was an ex-military guy um he he got around this time but his stumps were bloodied from getting around Jesus now, you're talking about people that he really on, want he was to on do something or? yeah he was on prosthetics yeah. so i had blades but with trains attached um but you're given amount of time to get round. so we were getting around let's call it in you know these different stages in six hours and some of these stages have got mountains in them so it's like a thousand meter mountain you have to go up and down it down to the side horrible shit some of it some of the stages like 40 50 percent sand dunes others just dried up riverbeds um but baking hot temperatures and duncan was getting around in like some of the maximal amounts of time that you're given and allocated and um yeah he was having to stay out there in the the baking sun for a much greater amount of time but he got round you know his will and desire to get round this thing was greater than the majority of human beings on this planet wow um so yeah the long day is um you've done three days where you've got three marathons and then on the fourth day they say okay now your now your day we're going to double it we're going to make it 55 miles so then you get around this long day and you're basically running from morning until the following morning you know that's the average person you're kind of running into the night time they put a glow stick on the back of your bag there's like a trail of glow sticks just going into the distance through these massive sand dunes the kind of sand dunes I'm talking about are like the ones you see on an insurance advert where somebody's running like a red 
like kites behind them, or there's like a horse galloping. Yeah. You've got these perfect sand dunes with perfectly crisp edges. You're looking around there going, oh my God, it's like you're on the surface of Mars. Yeah. You know, you're going around this, you're never going in that environment. The reason why it costs four grand is because there's just a stupid amount of admin involved in doing it. Sure. And by the time you finish the adventure that is the Marathon de Saab, um, yes, you're very happy that you've done it. A lot of people don't make it. I think there are about 1,200 people did the race. About 100 people didn't finish. 1,200 people? 1,200 people. So it's like a moving village every time. Every morning, all the tents go down. What what, what, what do you eat? Um, rations for seven days, basically. Just like what you, you carry have in the, uh, what you in, the military. in the military. Yeah, you just eat rations. Um, I specifically took about 4,500 calories of food every day. Some people take as little as 2,000, which is you know, Insane. scary. Insane. Really scary. And at the end of that race, I went from being around about 84 kilos. I went down to about 80. So I lost about four, five kilos in six days. I then got food poisoning on my last, uh, on, the, on the first meal that I had away from the race. Oh, man. I then was um, creating some noises out of my body that I, I can't repeat. <laughs> and, you know, I couldn't even if I, if I tried to. They were just scary. Sounded like a velociraptor. <laughs> Been there. And um, I went yeah. down to 77 kilos. No way. And that was within eight days. So within eight days, I lost about nine kilos. Wow. I went on a drip two days after the MDS. Are you still in Morocco at this point? Still in Morocco, yeah. But I don't. The scary thing is that after the MDS, so after we finished that desert race, um, I'd already told people that, you know, Commando Rob doesn't do things by half. So I was going to go up Mount Tobcall, which is 4,250 meters. And we were going to do that two days after the NDS. Oh, my God. So what's two- ro- Come on, Rob. What's wrong with you, man? Why are you doing this shit? <laughs> I can't even tell you. Why are you doing no, this there's shit? No label. On, there's, there's no label. There's no label. I still don't I still understand why this marathon de Sabres is a thing. Why is it 150? Is, it just, is that exactly what five marathons are? No, it's not exactly. Because some of the days are like 22 miles. Some of them are 30. One of them is 55. Why is it 155 miles? It's because that's the route they've decided to choose. So they've got this specific route that the... Why is there uh, 1,200 people crazy enough to go and do this? Is it, is it like... I'll tell you why. Because somebody said, we're going to do it. So when somebody says, um, you can do this thing, we challenge you to do this thing, people yeah. will do it. Yeah. If you say to somebody, you know, um, I'm going to go and do this thing over here, it's not been done before, that will excite people. So it gets people out of bed to challenge themselves and it wakes a part of the primal mm. brain up to say, I want to achieve that thing that you can't. Yeah. I want to tell people, and I, that's their war story. Yeah. We haven't had a World yeah. War Three, So their World War Three is doing the Marathon de Saab or it's doing a shark tank with the Gracies or it's joining the Met Police or it's joining the Royal Marines. And all of these things, they're then things that they're really proud of. You know, they look back at them and go, I lived my life. Yeah. I want my life to be full of those experiences. Sure. But I don't want to sacrifice my health doing it too many times. Because it, it just seems to me, look, I, I, I do get that. I do get, like, I love a challenge. It just, this one isn't one for me, just physically. I, I just, I'm just, I just not, I don't want to do Mate, that. I won't, I won't be doing it again. <laughs> yeah, I you know. It's not and for I, me either. I got a lot of respect for anyone who could even do an, a marathon, let alone a marathon in sand in the desert every day mm. <laughs> for fucking mm. six days. Mm. Um, yeah, I do, I do get the whole challenge thing, but like, where do you, where's the limit? 
You just keep on. You go. Oh, now we're going to do three hundred miles in the desert. Yeah, but when people, <laughs> you know, but that's that's what it is. Like, like, yeah, pe- people must die doing this shit. They do, and they have. But um, like I said, there was um, when we got over the finishing line of the first day. I thought we'd done pretty well, um, just got like, completing the first day. But when we got over the line, there was one guy on a stretcher with blood coming out of his nose. And there was another person that was being airlifted because they just had a heart attack. Fuck. So you're getting over there and you're reminded of the hostility of yeah. the environment. You know, it's, that, it's must be, that must that, be like part of the rush, isn't it? Well, you think to yourself, dicing with death a little I'm bit, glad yeah. I'm not in his situation. Yeah. But it kind of keeps you switched on to making sure, sure you're not. Next minute, you want to be necking all of your water and your fluids down. Yeah. And ex-military guys love doing that race because you have to become an expert at managing yourself, mm. managing your feet so they don't fall to bits and shred apart. You know, you don't want to be walking around with skeletal skin hanging off because you'll never get around the race. You want to make sure you're getting all your food on board, you're getting plenty of sleep, um, loads of fluids, you know, just keeping your morale up and just, you know, preserving your ability to keep going. How... um is that like the hardest ultra endurance thing you've done? No. What's the hardest? Um, over six days it is, but the hardest single thing that I've done, which um, some people listening won't, you know, they, they won't believe how hard it is. This is the one that you did just before that, isn't it? Um, I preparation. did two things before it. One of them was the Dartmoor Dreadnought. Where I had three ex um, special forces guys from the States flew over as well. We had 80 kilogram um, oak logs. That I did all of this for walking with the wounded. We raised about twenty-two grand. That's incredible. Yeah, you know, it was a large amount of cash. Really pleased about it. These guys came over and they joined one of five teams. This was an event that I made. I, I enjoy making things. Yeah, like I said, it's um, kind of like challenging people. And this one carrying this eighty-kilogram log in teams of three over Dartmoor over three days. You're kind of like strapping it into your hips, and like two of you are walking with this log, going up and down these hills and dales, doing it for about eight hours a day. Horrible, shitty conditions, really bloody cold. Um, And then we're staying in barns that there's no electricity, there's nothing there, you've got your roll mat. You know, that kind of hostile environment was also pretty cool. Mm. So, um, How long long were you, what was the distance? Distance wasn't overly long. I think all in all, it was around about 10 to 12 miles a day. For how long? For three days. But when you're carrying all of your own food, water... You're carrying about 50 kilograms on top of your body weight. That's a whole Doing other, all of that in bogs and hills. Yeah. So that was one of the things I did to prep for it. But the hardest one wasn't that. It was the 100 plus yeah. mile yeah. walk from my gym to Brighton and back. And that's all on tarmac roads. Guys, oh, also- let me stop you there. Guys, did you hear that? He, and, and this is, you just walked for 100 miles. Because I was following this mm. uh, when Maya was posting about it. beautiful videos on that. Rob and one of your buddies. Yeah, George. Was it was that the guy who went to the it Marathon was, yeah, George Grimes. Just walked from London to Brighton and back. Yeah. Without stopping. Yeah, without we, sleeping, without Without resting. sleeping, without any forced rest. So we were aiming to do that by... we. We That's just ate, ate where lunacy. we could. We found that one, the, the hardest thing about it, we did it in winter as well, so you're shivering your tits off. Um, the hardest thing about it was that the, the tarmac is merciless. And mm. by the time that you get halfway, you're thinking to yourself, 
I really don't want to go back. Mm. I've ran other races with people where they've done triple marathons of me before, triple marathon distance, a marathon a day for three days. I've done another race, which is running 69 miles. It's called The Wall. It's along Hadrian's Wall in a day. And some of the people that have done those of me said to me, Rob, you can fucking go back by yourself. Wow. I do not want to go back. Because you less mileage, harder on the body. You, you, you've done this. You, you attempted it before, right? I attempted it with a group of people. And I ended up attempting it with 12 people. And I think about eight of us wanted to go back and make it. But the pace just turned into a zombie march. And really? it was so painfully slow that by the time we got there, it was just after midnight. And just when, George when and my, got to Brighton. by the time we got to Brighton, everybody yeah. was like, no, no, like half the group had already stopped or got trains back home. Some of them that made it had already contacted a friend that was driving them back to London. Wow. And me and George were like that. I'm Commando Rob. Yeah. This is my buddy, the T2000. Yeah. You know, we're not messing about. It's my nickname for George. We're not going to mess about. We're going to walk it back. But inside, I was thinking, my body is broken. Mm. We started going back 15 miles into it. Both my shins swelled up, horrible pain, had to stop. It's the only thing that since I've left the Royal Marines that I can remember not completing. And the following morning when people were asking for updates, um, I felt ashamed. Yeah. I felt ashamed that I hadn't done this thing that I'd been telling people I was going to do. I mean, hell, I organized it myself. Yeah. Um, and that stayed but with the, me. But at, at the same time, I, I totally get that. And if I ever was to say that I was going to do something and I couldn't do it, I would be, I'd be destroyed. But at the same time, it's only when you fail something was it really a challenge. Knocked down seven times. If you complete, but if you complete at every challenge you do, you know this whole thing is you're going to try and push the boundary. And are you going to be able to push the boundary so accurately that 1% more you would have failed and 1% less would have been too easy? That's never going to happen. You need to know where your boundaries are. You need to fail to know that you're pushing yourself. If you complete every challenge you ever set, then you're not setting hard enough challenges, are you? You need to. So like the fact that you you failed this challenge actually said, shit, this is a challenge that I'm not going to be able to do the first time. Oh, it's a man challenge. Yeah. Yeah, and that element of challenge, and um, I thought it, it was borderline shame. It was um, it was partly shame, but mostly disappointment. Yeah. And um, it was that that then I said to George, we will be doing this again. And everybody else is like, I'm never doing that again. Mm. I said, I have to do this again. So what was the training? And that you, you attempted it a year later? No, no, we attempted it two months later. Oh, shit. We attempted it like two two to three months later. And Nobody was expecting it because I decided two days before we were going to do it that we are going to do it again. Oh, really? Because David Horn, that we know very well, yeah. the grip legend that he is, I put something up. It was a horrible picture of like, it looked like a cloud, but the cloud was a human being or like a human shape over the top of a human walking down a long road. Mm. It was like, this is what depression looks like. Mm. And I put that picture up and said, so I'm going to be doing this again. And it was like, oh yeah, good effort, good effort. I was like, this weekend. Shit. And David Hall was like, oh my God. Yeah. And he was me, like, I thought you were going to be doing this in a few months. You were yeah. going to do more training for it. I said, no, it's got to be now. Otherwise, the MDS is going to come around. The Marathon de Saab. I'm not going to have the juice in the tank. I won't have the recovery. And I said, no, no, fuck it. We're just going to do it. So so what was different about... Did Was there was the preparation different between the, the first and the second one? We did it by ourselves. 
Was that the We difference? were walking at our own pace. We set the rules for ourselves. I didn't have to manage anybody else. Yeah. I only had to manage my that, own expectations. That was the only difference. And I guess that you've done it once already could have would have helped you a little bit for the second well, one. Well, actually, the um, some of the problems that I had on the first one, um, excuse me, I ended up getting sooner on this one. And it was a really bad thing. I actually had to go via a hospital that was closed at the time. And um, this hospital was kind of like, I just said to the security guard there, do you mind if I just go into the hallway of this hospital? I need to do 45 minutes of just mobility work, just stretching off my hip, doing all of these things. I said, I'm sorry that I have to do it. It's like three in the morning. Anyway, he agreed. Otherwise, wow. we'd have been really pissed. Um, and by the time I left there, I then felt like I was able to continue. And then that was about 45 miles into it. You know, 55 miles later, we ended up getting back into London. And my buddy George at that point was like properly hobbling down the road. I mean, he looked like an episode out of The Walking Dead. Um, people were just like crossing over the road. This was like five in the morning. So how long did the race take you? So this whole walk took us 39 the... hours. Oh, my God. So we didn't sleep for two days. It took 39 hours. Um, at the end of it, I had chafing. 39, 39 hours. hours, yeah. I mean, honestly, mate, when I, when I completed that, my, I then had neural discomfort running down my left leg. Not from um, previous neural discomfort from previous stuff, but um, a new thing that lasted for two weeks. You definitely don't do those things because it's healthy. You're not doing them for health. You're doing them because... You'd like to hope that the reward that you feel in your brain afterwards, the satisfaction that you feel, you know, almost reminds me of an old marathon or Snickers advert. Mm. The satisfaction you have there is just, you know, it's is tremendous. It, is it? It's like a is crescendo. It it? Is it of, worth it? Oh, yeah, definitely worth it. I mean, the fact that I'm here, I mean, I've borderline got a semi talking about it. Yeah, I feel I, know, abs- I feel. I, like- I feel like it's that's one of the greatest achievements, physical achievements of my life. Yeah. But and where does it end, Rob? Well, it's going to end when what's, I end. What's, what's, the, what's the next thing? It will end when I end. But it's going to have to get bigger. You can't now go and do a 50-mile walk, can you? Well, unless, of course, you're doing a 50-mile walk over hot coals. Well, there you go. Everything can be hard. You know, I could roll some dice on the floor and times it by 100 and say, do press-ups. Do, do, do you know what you... Uh, you remind me of an adrenaline junkie, but a different kind of adrenaline junkie, because I don't think... Sort of like adre- adrenaline junkies live off this adrenaline and they do something to get this rush. And then once they've done it, it needs to be bigger because once they've got that rush from that thing, once you jump off, once you do a bungee jump, bungee jumps are now boring. They're, they've been done. So you have to jump out of a plane. And once mm. you've jumped out of a plane a couple of times, you've got to jump off the side of a cliff and it gets more and more and more. Now, the stuff that you do could not be less adrenaline pumping if you tried but like in in that traditional sense which is like that rush the mm. fast speed fall-ins mm. you know all of that it's sort of this adrenaline it's rush a in a very yeah like a the, the opposite right mm. instead of like this hundred mile an hour drop out of a yeah. plane it's a hundred mile walk you know like what a zombie. Done? anybody can jump out of a plane yeah people do it in their 70s and 80s yeah um so you kind of you're like a challenge almost an endurance junkie because like you're not only challenging your all of the challenges these challenges that you're setting are endurance based challenges so where the fuck do you stop like well, what, what's that, next the endurance ones people understand um but alongside yeah, that, but i don't think i don't think they i don't think they can comprehend it maybe I don't think, not i i, I think that 
I think that a hundred mile walk that co- that lasts forty thirty nine hours mm. thirty nine hours is <coughs> you may they're big numbers Brighton to London and back uh, sorry London to Brighton and back and uh, and 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 the idea of just walking for thirty nine hours well, people think that walking's easy. I'm telling you now, walking isn't being, being easy. A, being awake, points. being awake for 39 hours isn't mm. isn't isn't easy. Watching TV for 39 hours. Yeah, I mean, I did the Arnie all nighter once, just watching six Arnie films back to back. I think I was the only one there on our row of ten people that couldn't stay was awake. That, uh, Prince Charles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was awesome. There. I want to do the Lord of Rings one there. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're all good. They but sell out. What. They sell out. I wanted to go like a couple of years I'm, ago, but they sell out. I'm going to try and go I'm, on a, year, I'm with a group of like mostly guys there. Yeah. And even those guys couldn't stay awake watching Arnie. I mean, I don't know what the hell's wrong with them. Are they real? So you're right. Are I they mean, real men? Are they real men? Right? Are they real fans? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. But when he's like, Dylan, you son, son of a bitch. bitch. <laughs> Grabs hold of him. The whole cinema was like, what? They were fans. That's cool. It's just that they enjoyed their sleep as well yeah. <laughs> they're falling asleep around me nah. at like six in the morning I'm definitely gonna week. definitely gonna smash out one of those lord of the rings trilogy ones for sure um do you have any other races that you're designing any stupid challenges you've done the marathon to solve how long how long was that a goal of yours for 10 years wow i just hadn't Fuck, man. i That's... just hadn't done it because the timing wasn't right and when i first started looking into it there's a three-year waiting list so i've now signed up a team of six people from the Commando Temple. To do what? Um, to do the Marathon de Saab. With so, you? No, not with me. Okay. Um, Maya, my fiance, won't enjoy me putting this live, but I've actually paid for her deposit Wow. to do the Marathon de Saab next year. We didn't actually talk for a few days. Really? So she wasn't happy. It's mostly because you got horrible shit like camel spiders and things in the desert that want to suck you dry. Yeah. That um, she's really not happy about it. She would have been happy if I was doing it as well, but you know what? I haven't got bloody eight grand in my yeah, back burner, yeah, yeah. and I haven't been saving up the pennies to be able to afford to do that either. So she's doing it, and before I told her, I put it out there to a group of people that I knew and said, you know what, do you want to, you want to do this with my missus? And they were like that, hell yeah! Holy yeah, shit. we'll do that. That's the commander temple. It's just full of crazy people. How important it, well, it, it's a combination of two things, I think. It may be full of crazy people, but more importantly, like, had you not have done that last year, had you just asked someone, do you want to go and do the marathon to Saab's, how many of those people would have said yes? Not many. That's no. because you're, it's because you're leading from the front. It's a conversation you're, that you're, you're, you you're, can you're, you're showing people that this can be done, I can do this, and if I can do it, you can do it, I'm which sure. is, I think is very important for a coach. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, is that is that one of the reasons why you do this crazy shit? Is it, is it, is it to set an example? Well, some, is, some people call it walking the talk. Yeah, 100%. I know some people don't like... Leading, leading from the front. Leading from the front, leading by example. Um, for me, it builds me of a lot more confidence as a coach, knowing that I've done the things that I'm asking my guys to do, or that I can do it. And if I can do it better than them, guess what? I feel even better about myself. Yeah. Because I'm actually achieving those things. And I enjoy achieving them anyway. I'm not doing it because I need to impress them. I'm doing it because I want to create my own legacy. The legacy of Rob Blair, when I've got kids in the future and when I'm kind of like on my deathbed, whenever that is, hope, you know, hopefully it's a long time from now, I yeah. want to look back and have no regrets. I honestly would not change my life, any part of it, for like things that I've done. That's genuinely how I feel. And I feel that way because I've enriched it with so many different systems, so many different people, so many great and bad experiences. 
I feel like I'm like I've, I've filled my life with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and I want to keep doing that as well. Do you think that's something that the majority of the population don't do? Some people get put in a rut. Um, some people are in that rut for longer than they need to be. Maybe they haven't got the support in place or maybe they're just lazy bastard. Mm. You know, at that stage, it's not important to them. What about, uh, what about people who feel sort of a, you don't seem to have any hesitation to do anything? What is it about you? Have you ever had hesitation? And what is it about you if you haven't that you think causes you to lack this he- hesitation to do all these things? Because like how many, how many people out there have been looking at doing the Marathon de Saabs for, or looking to do any challenge that they want to achieve for years and actually they end up dying and they've never done the thing that they want and they sit on their dead be- it's deathbed. Got, it's got to they- be every day. It's got to be. I mean, nobody wishes when they're on their deathbed that they'd earn more money. Nobody wishes they'd watch more TV. You know, they probably wish they'd enrich their lives with, you know, a different partner or they'd chased a different lover or they'd climb that mountain or they spent more time seeing their family and friends before they died. You know, it's all to do with relationships and experiences. And um, nobody gives a fuck about how much money they're earning in their job um, by the time that they're on their deathbed. Unless, of course, that job is doing something that they loved so much because they were surrounded by people that they loved. They yeah. loved hanging around with those people. So money is a really important thing. And it's easy to say it's not when you've got it. But money gives us options. And it gives us options yeah. to be able to do the things that we do. Buying these microphones isn't cheap. You know, you need yeah. money to be able to get them in. Otherwise, we're talking on Skype or something else, an inferior platform. Yeah. So you need enough coming in to be able to do the things that you want to do to enrich your life with the quality that you need to be able to feel like you're succeeding in life. Now, for me at the moment, I feel like I've got enough coming in at the moment um, that I can kind of explore and I can spend time with friends and I can do these good things. Other people, they're still trying to work out how to get enough options to be able to do the things that they need. And hell, maybe they'll be working that out for the rest of their lives. Um, because you know, there's, I think there's a book there. It's uh, the, the five most important people you meet, or the five people you meet in heaven. It might be six, it might be four. I can't remember how many people it was. Yeah. Well, let's call it five for now. The most influential people that you met during your life, one of them might be a doctor that you only met once, but he said, you've got a fuck back. You probably shouldn't do any lifting. You probably won't be doing any running again, and this is going to affect you forever. And you're like, okay, well, that person stops lifting. They don't run anymore. They don't do the physical activity they used to do. They become obese. They aren't as as adventurous as they used to be. They lose their erection because they've got no testosterone. They can't shag around anymore. They used to love doing that. And there are all of these different things that it all happened from that dickhead doctor that said they couldn't do that thing. There's a nice video out there, actually. I saw it recently. I just saw part of it. It was C.T. Fletcher mm. talking about doctors telling him he couldn't do anything because he had this dodgy ticker. Yeah. Um, some of the biggest champions and biggest personalities I know are the ones that have had extreme adversity. And they've gone, fuck it. I don't care. You know, I do not care. You know, I'm going to go and do this stuff anyway. And if it's going to end up badly, at least I tried. And I want to make sure that I can achieve my fullest possible growth without somebody putting an end cap on it and saying 
nah, you probably ought to leave it here. Mm. Now this is like my life. I think I'll kind of decide what I want to do with it. And that's the important thing I'd say to anybody. You know, if you feel like you're putting buffers on uh, or a parking brake on some of the things that you would love to do, then you need to evaluate and make sure that you have to do that. Because if you're just bullshitting yourself and or you're believing the bullshit of some external factor that you've only met once, then that's wrong. That's a problem. You need to evaluate the things before you can't do those things. Absolutely. Man, that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's very, very cool. And obviously something that you've never had a problem with. You've just, you know, talk, talking to you is just talking, I'm talking to someone who values experience over everything else. Mm. I think that's, that's very obvious. So so what is, out of interest, going back to sort of the ultra ultra distance stuff, what's next for you? I'm saying like, where the fuck is it ever going to stop? And you're saying I, never, but, yeah, but, I mean, but how can it, it's got to get bigger, right? I always enjoy um, just being strong and being healthy. So you'll always see me on Instagram and social media putting up things and me like flipping the 512 kilo tire or lifting up a horrible amount of weight or lifting some natural stones. Those things for me, that, that's like playtime. Yeah. That's like my Rob Blair time. I love that stuff. Commando Temple's brilliant for that. Couldn't have that. I'd love to have five of those or four of those five twelve tires on my Land Rover. Mm. It's uh, <laughs> like a monster truck. You know, not going to happen. So I've got grip competitions that I'm aiming to do this year. One of them is the World Records Comp that David Horn runs, where I've got to decide which three lifts I want to go there and either improve upon my current world records or I want to try and nab some from some other people. Let's get into that. Um, I'll stop you there because let's get back on and kind of end of that as we talk about grip. So you're you're big into the grip into the grip game. Yeah. Um, that's kind of one of the things where I know you best from. Uh, how did you get into that? I, for those who don't know, Rob's a, a, a has an incredibly strong grip, lower lower arm strength, holds a number of world records. What world world records do you currently hold? Um, I think the. The main one that people will recognize me for is the meat hook meat deadlift. Hook, yeah. So I've got that over a few different weight divisions from 83 kilos going upwards. Um, they, there's, I, I, it sounds bad, but I couldn't tell you. I couldn't because, tell you because which in ones the, they in are, the they're always moving lot, around. Yeah. There are a lot of different events, especially with, the, with, with, with David Horn. How did you get into grip? I got into it about four or five years ago now. And I got into it because... I was looking, I used to read comics like um, the Beano and the Dandy and the Topper and these ones where you've got characters in them like Desperate Dan yeah, who eats cow pies and holds up a train with one hand while he's being called a big galoot by his missus in the other. Yeah, and I'm looking at that character thinking, God, that's awesome. Yeah, you know, I want to wear a bloody cowboy hat and I want to be eating a cow pie. Um, there was another guy called Mr. Fitness who would stand in an elevator and say, I'm always training, always training. And this kid's like, Mr. Fitness, you can't be training right now. You're in an elevator. He pulls his hands out of his pockets. And he's like, no, it's a six-inch nail. I'm bending it one-handed. Really? And you're like that, reading this shit as a kid. Yeah. You're like that, I want to be Mr. Fitness. Yeah. Except, you know, I, I didn't hang around with that group of friends that were that way inclined at that stage. And then you've got, you know, just like comic book characters. Um, they're like, they could be heroes of yours. These are people that there are... They won't let you down because they're not real humans. Mm. You just write stories that are cool, funny, and interesting. It's like Marvel characters. Why do you think I have so many of those on my walls in the gym? They're not going to let you down like mm. Usain Bolt might do or 
you know, a fighter might do or somebody else. These are just cool as fuck people. You look at the Hulk on the wall, you know what he means. Yeah. He fucks you up, he goes home in time for tea and stickies. <laughs> You're like, how's he going to let me down? He's not, I know him. Do you think that's why Mr. People, Consistent. Do you think that's why people sort of gravitate towards superheroes, comic book heroes and characters that aren't actually real as their heroes? Because I've never a, thought I've never thought about it this way, and like a lot of people say, so and so is my hero, you know, Captain America, Tony Stark's my hero, and people go, that's fucking stupid, you know, Serena Williams should be your hero, or Usain Bolt should be your hero, or why the hell would you have somebody who's your hero outside of your family when you've never met them before, you haven't got a bloody clue how they are behind closed doors. You know, at least I think it's just as good choosing somebody that's a two-dimensional character. Mm. You can wear their imprint on your face. It's got their fist smashing out of your ribcage. Yeah. And like, that is the Hulk's fist smashing you in the face. And you're like, that's really cool. I'm just never wearing never... a t-shirt with bloody <laughs> Serena Williams. I'm I've sorry. I've just never thought of uh, sort of that, that concept that a comic book character can't let you down. They can't get caught for taking steroids. Or, well, exactly. You know, <laughs> That's what I'm talking they about. Can't, they can't cheat on their wife yeah. and uh, have a They're scandal. They're not going to drink drive. They're not going to be like Oscar Pistorius. Yeah. Oh no, he's such a legend. He yeah. runs on blades and then all of a sudden he's shot his missus. You're like that. Well, yeah, he kind of let a lot of people down there. Yeah. There are also some systems as well. I know people have got tattoos of training systems and then they like get what? a tattoo for like uh, kettlebell systems. You've got... The RKC, you got okay. strong first. Yeah, they get yeah. these tattoos done. And then all of a sudden, that system fails and they move on or people leave the system. They've still got a tattoo of yeah. a training system on their arm. And you're like that. How crazy is that? I mean, if I'm going to get something tattooed on my arm, it's going to be a name of one of my children. Yeah, yeah. Um, and hope that of, they don't let you down. Yeah, well, they'll <laughs> let you down, but you're like, they're flesh and blood. Yeah. But you we know, have an actual training system. So the yeah. grip stuff for me, I kind of got off track there, but... The grip stuff for me, I got into because I love the idea that you've got, um, you've got these people that they do superhuman things that, um, like the old strongmen of greats used to be able to perform. So like a backlift of several thousand pounds, like Louis Sear. Yeah. Or you had these guys that are Sax, um, Saxon doing, um, crazy bent presses and things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to be the guy that when I grabbed hold of, um, a man's hand, if I wanted to, I could just squeeze his bones and his juice out of his hand like I was creating an ice cream, like yeah. Mr. Whippy style. I wanted, I like the idea of what Jason in the horror movie used to be able to do. He grabbed hold of his hands around a man's head, he'd pop his eyes out. Yeah. I love the idea of having the kind of formidable tension in my body that if somebody tries to move me, and I'm not a jiu-jitsu guy, but I know if somebody tries to move me, I'm really good at being tight at the top. Um, uh, most of my uh, people tell you like a lot when you, you watch me carry and move things around it should be done by somebody a lot heavier but I love having that kind of um, tension that I'd like to think a rhino would come charging towards me I'd stop him and then I'd use his horn as some kind of drinking vessel and how is it that you've built up that tension how, how have you built up that strength Lots of practice. But what sort of exercises specifically? Is there, is there anything in specifics? How can someone who's listening to this and wants to get that sort of what you're talking about? Um, I would say that they need to work out where they currently are and they need to get rid of as many of their niggles and pains as possible because the weak cogs will always let them down. It won't be the things they're strong at. 
they're awesome at the butterfly guard. You know, great. Okay, well, as long as you come ag- across somebody where that's really useful, and that's great. But what if you have no other weapons available on the map? Yeah. You know, and you'll get exploited. So you've got to make sure that your weak points are not weak. You know, they become stronger. And um, as you start lifting more, obviously those weak points need to continue to push to the right as well as your strong points. So it's it's like the bodybuilder putting on, Arnie would talk about putting on clay on the body. Yeah. I can't just improve my pecs because then my arms will look small. Well, strength is like that. Competition is like that. You can't just become really expert at something because you'll come across the champion who's got a good all-round game and they'll beat the fuck out of you. Yeah. So when you're looking at doing competitive sports, you need to make sure you're not let down. And that requires you being injury-free. Work out where you are. If you've got niggles and pain, aim to get rid of them. Work with somebody to help you through that. Work out what you want to achieve. And then when you know what you want to achieve, then you work out all the stuff in the middle. The stuff in the middle, there are lots of mentors, guides, and people that have often done the things that you want to do out there that they can save you thousands of man hours by saying, do it this way. David Horn was that person that I went to. And um, I went and had some time with him. I knew he was the guy that I, I would like. I had three hours of him, and he charged me for an hour. And his missus made me some food. Yeah. You know, he just really helped me out. And that was a number of years ago. And I've still got a picture. He put it up on my birthday, just gone, 21st of May, of me bending my first um, bolt and nail and all this mm. stuff. I said, wow, that was my first visit to the mm. grip factory. Mm. And, um, you know, he's such a noble gent. And when you meet the right people, the five people you meet in heaven, yeah. Um, if it is five, then he could be one of those people for my physical development. Sure. Because, you know, he's helping me achieve that crushing grip strength and power. Mm. Um, and it's because I like him. I like what he does. I admire the qualities that he brings. He's a very humble giant. Incredible, yeah. And he's a genuine man of steel. He is. You know, I don't know. Uh, he's one of those people that if he was to let me down, I'd be, be like that. Yeah. How yeah. did that happen? You know, he never lets anybody down. He's like as close to a superhero, comic book hero as you're going to get in real Tug life. Tug of war, arm wrestling, yeah. strongman, powerlifting, weightlifting, grip sport. You know, all of those things that he's done. And then you're forgetting about the fact that, you know, he's a dad of numerous children. Mm. He homeschools his kids. Yeah. He's got a, a missus, he's a fantastic human being as well. You know, he's leading by example. Yeah. I think that's all you can do as a coach. If you can teach somebody something on a really expert level, then great, you can do that. But if you can do that thing and you can also lead your life and lead by example with the other fruits that life has to offer and enjoy them, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know what question I'm thinking is you talk about getting into grip because you wanted to have this sort of – and, and and I totally understand what you're saying because I too aspire to the same sort of thing, which is this unmovable physical object, mm. you know, that it intrigues me. Have you ever been interested in doing something where you could put your strength into a more, you know, you, you want your body to be strong enough that a human can't move you. But have you ever been interested in doing a sport where humans try to move you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And um, I aimed to get into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu three years ago. I can't tell you the full story of why that didn't happen. Sure. Because that is a little bit of my own pussyitis. Okay. Um, but basically, I, um, yeah, I, I can't name names. But I rolled with somebody 
you know, even this this person will probably hear this and they're yeah. going, like, oh, I can't believe he's still thinking about that. <laughs> well, it was an important thing. Yeah. I rolled with this person and um, this person just kind of like got his crotch in my face, made me look like a tit yeah. for like maybe 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. I didn't really oh, feel really? like I gained anything yeah. from it at all. This guy was a purple belt. Um, and um, back then it was like, well, you know, I really wanted to get into it. It would be great if I could have done it with this person and within this community. But it kind of like then put you like, off a bit. Put me off and it sidetracked it and then I something else just took, took my place, yeah. yeah, just took my gaze. And that other thing that took my gaze at the time was grip sport. Mm. And grip sport was then that thing. I was kind of like doing it anyway. But now I was talking to um I told him I would mention it. I told him I was I was coming here, but Joel Snape. Uh-huh. Um, former uh, editor of um, Men's Fitness, yeah. and now he's got the Iron Life magazine. I met up with him um, a couple of weeks ago. We were just talking for a couple of hours, shivering our tits off outside, drinking every available amount of hot chocolate and coffee. Um, and he also is a, a great practitioner. He loves it. And he said, Rob, I never knew that. You've got to roll with me. I've got to do this with you. And I was like, I've got a gear upstairs. It's brand new. You, you know, it's, I've got a gear upstairs. Really? I think it's the bloody black bad boy one. Nice. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to be, I wanted to be Mister Bad Boy. Yeah. And I was like, I want to do this. I think Fitz has contacted you. He wants to. Uh, yeah, I spoke to Fitz a couple of days ago. Actually, I'm going to get him. Uh, Calisthenics I, I, coach. Yeah, yeah. And um, I actually, he asked me about starting jujitsu. Wanted to get in and compete. And I actually said I want to get him on the podcast. I wanted to talk to him anyway because obviously he's going to have an interesting mm. story. But I actually want him to come on the podcast and ask me the questions that someone who wants to start jujitsu mm. is going to ask. So I think mm. that would be quite interesting. I hope I, I get him on in the next couple of weeks. But yeah. Um, so yeah, are you getting back on the mat? Well, it's. I decided when I finished the marathon de Saab that this year would be the year that I get back into martial arts again. Yeah. So martial arts for me, and that includes just doing a little bit of boxing in the Royal Marines, not a huge amount, but enough to know that I really enjoyed it. Um, I used to have a coach, Julius Francis. Um, so a big guy, took on Tyson, like most people oh, lost. Wow. But, yeah. you know, he was a, he was a great guy. Um, I did some S&C with him. He took me for boxing. I did uh, Muay Thai for a couple of years at KO South. Really enjoyed that. Met some good people there. And I've kind of like flirted with a number of different things now. But I'm really not that good at punching people in the face. Yeah. I don't really enjoy it. Um, and I'm talking about punching them as well as them punching me. Um, whereas I've got good friends who do enjoy it. Jake Brutal Boswick. Yeah. With a show name like Brutal, you'd you think that he enjoys it. You have to. I mean, the guy's like a bloody cave troll. Yeah. Um, and his fists now look like each knuckle is a bag of cement. <laughs> You know, God knows what he's been punching. It's not just humans. Yeah. So, but the ground side of things, I've still got this, um, I still remember this when I did some judo with um, a guy back in the Marines when I was in my early 20s. I hadn't got a clue what I was doing, but I was rolling with one of my colleagues at the time. It was like 100 kilos. I was about 75 kilos. Much bigger, much more powerful, much stronger than me. And the yeah. guy just said, yeah, just roll together and see if you can tap each other out. And I was like, oh, okay. Didn't really know what I was doing, so I just grabbed all of his gi and just kind of like twisted it into his neck and just choked him out. And the joy... Unconscious. No, no not completely. I mean, he was tapping out. Okay. He was like choking. Like, yeah. But yeah, it was like, I'm not even sure what you call it, but you grab all of the corners and you can like bring them across their Cross throat. Cross choke, yeah. Cross choke. I, mean, I felt like an absolute oh, man. god. Do you, do, it was awesome. Do you know what it's like? And um, and you're... you're... Everyone listening who does jiu-jitsu will know the jiu-jitsu reference and you'll know, the, you'll know both references. Mm. 
but obviously you're you're you're, you're a steel bender as i was a little bit more in the past but not so much anymore but i still dabble a little bit um and a lot of people ask me why 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 do i do nail bending and stuff like that they don't really understand it and to be honest with you i was never that and i can't when i look back and i wasn't appeal it wasn't appealing to me i don't i can't look back and i don't understand why it wasn't appealing because it seems so appealing to me now but i remember the first i was just interested what it was like and i bought um, a nail from B and Q, and I bought some wraps from David. And I went into the kitchen when these when I bought these nails, and I just tried to bend this, and I fucking it's just a sixty penny, and it took me like ten minutes, and finally <laughs> I bent it into a V, <laughs> and it was the greatest thing ever. Um, but the first time you feel the steel move in your hands, mm. then you're addicted to for life. It's a success. You know? it, it, but but like it is a success, but it's a very the the only comparison I have to that the first time and 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 it actually happens with a, with a few things like the first time that that you you grab onto a, any piece of metal horseshoe nail big bar bolt whatever and it starts the move the force that you're putting into it has mm. a has an effect on the physical mm. properties of that thing it's the same with tearing a deck of cards when you put the pressure in and f- suddenly you feel them ripping in half. And it's exactly the same to the first time you grab onto a limb or you grab mm. onto a choke and the person and the person taps mm. out. Mm. It's like this, this like you've put your force into something. You've used an amount of strength, an amount of technique, mm. and it's having an effect on another physical thing. Very, very similar to the first time you tap someone out and the first time you feel that that steel bend in your hands. Very, very similar feeling. I know this might this is like the most this might even be a a horrible way for me to put it across. Yeah. But I like the idea of grabbing hold of a man's wrist and they tap out. Yeah. I like the idea of just getting rid of bell and watching his vital organs almost like puke up out of his mouth. Well, th- that's why I do what I do. Straight up. Mm. And I've said that. And, and people who are listening to you, um, there'll be some people listening to you say that who will know that I've said that before. I've said publicly that I want to submit people by squeezing them and I want to... <laughs> I gr- the reason why I bend metal is so I can bend limbs. And it gives stuff me like joy that. just having the conversation about it. Yeah, and and and, but and it's, um, it and, does but, feel like we're having a terrorist conversation about <laughs> fucking people up. The thing is, every, the guys listen to this; they're all on board. <laughs> they're all on board. That's the, yeah, that's what I, nice. And and this is the interesting thing about you, Rob, which is I train strength and I train grip for the same reason you do to be able to crush people, the life out of people, and to be able to snap their arms with the mm. twist of a wrist if I wanted mm. to. The difference is you don't get to try. I know. That's the thing. It's and, 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 and it's the most bizarre thing because I feel like I'm having a conversation with myself, but a version of myself that doesn't do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. And mm. it's really, really bizarre mm. because you want to do these things and you you built the strength to do it. Mm. Um, you need to get on the fucking mat, man. Mm. You need to get on the mat. So you just like your only experience in jujitsu is just the one that one session. Oh, a terrible, got, yeah, you terrible experience. Don't don't start with a private. Mm. And I'll, I'll I'll say this to everyone listening. I genuinely, a lot of people are feel like, um, especially with me, obviously uh, uh, being a, a full time jujitsu instructor, I get a lot of people who they want to start jujitsu and they're very apprehensive about going into a class scenario and they want to work some, Oh, I'll work 
privates with you for six months until I feel like I'm ready to jump in class. Mm, I've heard that so many times. Nah. Bullshit. No, nah, I, I, I'm, I'm not buying it. And I genuinely believe that you need to be forged in the heat. You know, that, that you need to mm. get up to that. You need to really throw yourself into the fire. And I think people do themselves. Uh, th- there's definitely a, um, there's definitely some benefits to doing privates. Um, but if I'm honest, I believe that I, that there may be the benefit of doing one single private, mm. one private, one hour long class with, with, with an instructor to learn what, a mount is what a guard is what a side control is what a hip escape is what a bridge is what a all of the mm. vi- like almost like a terminology that's it mm. beyond that get in the fucking class and mm. get at the back of the line like everyone else had to start mm. you have to because when you go with a when you go with a, a purple blue purple brown black belt instructor when you roll with them you're not rolling with any one of your level you know imagine imagine your first the first time you lift weights mm. is when there's 200 kilos on the bar. Mm. You know, the first, the first weight session you get into is when you're, you're, you're training partners, a, an Olympic power lifter, yeah. Olympic weightlifter. It, it doesn't make any sense. You need to get, go in with the other people who are learning from the bottom up. And I do think that a lot of people go with that mentality of they, they want to start jujitsu by, they want to get the basics of jujitsu through privates. My, my personal opinion, don't do that. You can do privates alongside, jump into a class. Because the beauty of a class is you, just like you almost accidentally tapped this judo guy out, with your mobility, your body awareness, your general understanding of biomechanics and your strength, you will submit people day one. If you go to a bog standard class and you're not rolling with the purple belt who's going to whoop your ass, Mm. you will tap people on your first day. You won't know how you've done it. Maybe someone's tapping from literally bear hugging you. Yeah. Maybe you've grabbed their wrist and they're tapping out, but mm. you'll submit people. It won't be great jujitsu, but mm. you'll submit people. But you need that. You mm. need people to submit you, people that you have a good fight with and nobody submits each other, and people that you can submit. And when you're just doing privates, if you're submitting that if you're submitting your instructor, it's because he let you. Mm. You know, and if yeah. you're not getting submitted by him, it's because he doesn't want to submit you. Yeah. So it doesn't give you actually a good uh, representation of what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is. I think that the only way to do it is to get involved with the class. I mm. genuinely believe that's the that's the best way to start. I spoke to you downstairs that I'm freeing up some of my time yeah. at the moment, and um, you don't set anything up which is world worthy and noteworthy unless you put a huge amount of your time and patience into it. And that is the commando temple in the last four years. Yeah. Um, you know, post working by myself in the parks for six years. Yeah. So now that I've done that, I've got a really good crew that can support me, my vision for the future. That's the reason why I knew that this could be a time that I could go back to doing those things Mm. because PTs and coaches and therapists, all those names that you can kind of throw at me at the moment. Yeah. Most of the people we see are in the evening or they're in the morning. So, from where I currently are, I've already freed up two or three of those options. And just talking to you, you're one of those people now that I'm listening. I mean, you can't see this at home, but I'm smiling when Dan's talking about, mm. you know, just, you can hear it in my voice. It's <laughs> exciting yeah. to think that um, I could use my strength yeah. and skill I thought I, I, as a when, weapon. When, look, when I look at but, you, Rob, I, I see a man who's sharpened his sword razor sharp doesn't know how to fucking and then, use it and then put it in the cupboard you <laughs> yeah, know just, that that's it yeah go out there and fucking cut some shit yeah 
that'd be nice yeah i think you should i think you really enjoy it and i think that i think that you've had a a, a a bad experience to be the prop the problem with like, a lot of the time is someone especially i don't know was that was the person that you rolled with and is like oh the person that i rolled with he yeah. wanted to show me yeah because um he wanted to show me how good he was yeah well and this person that was trying to show me how good he was was a person that um he was a person that I can't really say too much. Yeah, more. yeah. I mean, sure. It'd be unfair of me to say much more. But but that isn't what an instructor should be doing. At that stage, he was just coming into the instructor game. Yeah, yeah. And I had a word of him afterwards, and, and don't worry, I told him. Yeah. He fucked up by doing this. Yeah. He didn't like it. Yeah. But I know that he got better. Yeah. Because I saw that he became better yeah. after I had the word. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of people kind of. And I, I, I was the same when I was when I was younger, when I was a blue belt, a purple belt, and you're hungrier and you have more the proof. You want to smash yeah. everyone. But then you realise actually smashing everyone isn't always the answer. Teach them a little bit, mm. get them better, and then once mm. they're good, then you can smash them. Mm. But then by then they're already in the game. Mm. I think that once uh if, if if you give it another shot, Give it a couple of classes, jump in there. I think that actually you, 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 you'll have a very different experience and you'll come to, to love it because it's a definitely a great sport. Yeah, and, I think and, and you'll be able pe- to use... Different people need different carrots. Yeah. So um, with him, his carrot was just having a frank conversation with me, me saying, don't do that again. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not going to have a large client base. No. Because I'm not a pussy. Yeah. And I didn't like it. Yeah. So if you had somebody that was coming along without you know, uh, ex-military background or they, you know, whatever. They wouldn't have lasted 20 minutes. They they wouldn't have enjoyed it, mm. you know, and possibly you're going to get a bad rep. So, you know, the carrot that I need at this stage is one that um, training, moving, being healthy, and hopefully continuing to push what I need to push means that there's enjoyment and joy there. Yeah. And I really know for a damn fact from previously being in that realm that I love martial arts. That's why there's a Temple Fight Club at the Commander Temple. Yeah, which uh, what, what I was going to say is you kind of have everything under your roof anyway, um, which is very, very cool. How, what, what made you start the, uh, the Commando Temple Fight, Fight Club? Fight Club, yeah. Fight Club, yeah. Um, why would you not want to have the ability to run a martial arts centre out of your strength and conditioning facility? Yeah. You know, it's like I've got three arches there. And in those three arches, I feel like I've got 90% of what I need for human exploration and human movement. Yeah. You know, it's not just a great confidence, Bill, being able to look after yourself and, you know, you can become more of a weapon if you need to be. But I've chosen to have people involved that they're the most approachable coaches you can find. And they're people that ultimately they're there not to cause you harm and they're there to control the zoo Mm. of new people coming in. If they decide to be a little bit out of order, then those people are controlled with those excellent coaches that we now have in place. It's there because um, human beings have always fought. We've always grabbed other human beings and told them to fucking do one. Or somebody's trying to steal your food or somebody's trying to steal your missus or whatever. You You need to be able to look after yourself for confidence reasons. And sometimes, depending on where you live... Shit happens sometimes on yeah. the street that you need to be able to look after yourself and your loved ones. I do it because of those particular reasons. I haven't, I didn't originally put it in place for enjoyment purposes. I put it there because I saw it as an essential thing that we need. Um, stand up, ground game, whatever you want to call it. 
um, I just had guys there at the time that I looked at and admired, and I said, and I said, you know, let's set this thing up, yeah, and I'm going to bolt it onto the side of this world class strength and conditioning facility, and it just works. Mm. And um, have you had have you you know going back to you as a coach, have you done much work with fighters? We have a number of pro fighters that use the gym. Yeah. So we've um, currently got Daryl Williams. He's a boxer. He's just won one of the British titles. Um, sorry, English titles. Um, he's now actually gone and joined Ricky Hatton's facility up in Manchester. Oh, nice. So we've got Stuart He-Man Austin, Jake Brutal Boswick. There have been a few of these guys that um, they kind of use the facility for their strength and conditioning yeah. or have done previously. Build up a good reputation with those guys. They wear our colours in the gym. You know, fantastic. That's how it needs to be. There's no money that's exchanging hands there. There's just, you know, you look after the name of the Commando Temple Gym by representing and being strong as fuck in the gym. Mm. You don't guess out and you look like you've got all the weapons that you need. You know, and um, Ross Anime, I know, uses um, the expression of stamina or yeah. your ability to keep going and using your skills and your weapons for as long as possible without gassing out. I mean, that's what your stamina and your work capacity is. Yeah. If you can keep going for longer and keep using those fine motor skills for longer, knocking people out, then that's great. Well, I want to help those fighters achieve that. I, want, I, I can't teach them how to throw punches better. They can teach me. Yeah. You know, I can't teach them how to um, do a bloody butterfly guard better. You know, kind of... They come to you for that. But I can teach those people how to improve their grip strength, how to improve their intra-abdominal pressure, how to improve their breathing so that when a human being grabs hold of them and looks into their eyes, there's fear in their opponent's eyes because mm. they realize that this human being is not going to move yeah. no matter what they do. And if they try and escape, they can't because the person just grabbed hold of them with one hand. Yeah, you know That's what I love from my facility. That's why they come. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to try and I'm going to dwell a little bit further into that because I'm interested and I'm sure that the people listening will be very interested. Um, firstly, because the way that I see you and kind of a, as you've even described yourself as a coach is it sort of comes with you fix them first hmm. and then you can build on top of that foundation. Yeah. So are there sort of patterns that you've recognized in working specifically with fighters, um, MMA, boxing or, or grappling as well, and maybe even variations between the three of um, common issues they have with their body, movement patterns, injuries, you know, be it bad knees or bad wrists or whatever. Are there, are there any common traits that you find with uh, fighters or grapplers? In Every single person is very unique. So you, so, you, so if you took a sample of 100 people, you wouldn't be able to tell who... You would if they had, say, a specific... So instead of fighters, let's call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay. Let's call it boxing. Let's okay. call it something else. Let's call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu... Um, when I've kind of dealt with that crowd of people, they're either practitioners that seem to have or love moving. And um, these are people like David Goodall. That mm -hmm. He has daily practice where he loves opening up his hips. He loves working for his thoracic. He loves working on his overall mobility. He loves the iron game as well. But then there are others that they're stiff as hell. Yeah. You know, they love just doing jujitsu and they're supple enough to kind of get by but they don't do the extra detail on top. Maybe they've had a couple of injuries at this stage. Maybe they've got a dodgy knee or something else. Yeah. They haven't got the available skill or they, they're kind of just relying on being um, stubborn enough to get through jujitsu. So if I'm working with those guys, 80% of, yeah. right, of the time I'd say, 
you're Dan, you're a badass. You know, keep doing what you're doing on the mats. You know, I can't teach you that stuff. And 80% of the time, your strength and conditioning is you know, going to be very sport specific yep. to you doing it on the mats. But the other 20%, I'd like you to do these things. Now, those things are going to be based on the time that we spend together and I assess and test you. I look at daily functional tasks. So even with you, I'd still ask you to do the same thing because you do them every day. Mm. Tie your shoelaces up for me. Mm -hmm. I want to see how you do it. Get down on the ground, get back up again. Get down on your front, get back up again. Do it with this broomstick overhead. Could you sit down on that chair and get back up again? Um, all of these things, can you scratch your back in the middle of your back with one hand? Can you clasp your hands? Can you put a seatbelt on? So these are people, whether they're fighters or they're in their 90s, if they can do these daily functional tasks, which here's a clue, they can't do all of them. Yeah. Because these daily functional tasks, they're complicated. Yeah. They require twisting through your hips, getting up and down with your ankles. They let themselves down by pushing up on their closed fist instead of their fingers because they've hurt their wrist or they've had a broken finger. When they're getting back up, they push off their knee because their knee hurts. I'm like, that. okay, well, let's work out why these things are happening. Mm. And then I look at the specificity of their sport, and I can say to them, well, you've got pain here, and you're saying it's the butterfly guard. Show me what that is. Mm. Oh, God, you're going to have to get me in the butterfly guard. Okay, fine. You can do that. Show me this position, and, and, and I can work out why this might be causing pain. Yeah. I start cross-correlating and cross-pollinating the um, – there's a lot of crosses going on there. So we have um, – your daily functional tasks, I have a look at your sport-specific tasks that are causing discomfort. I can then have a look at them as a surveyor and say, you know, I need to look at your elbow more clinically because there's some shit going on here that I need to look at it in greater depth. Yeah. I start moving the elbow around and we start pronating it, supinating it, flexing, extending it. I look at the individual fingers. I put it under load and tension. I do the movements myself. And now we're starting to be the sniper going in for more detail with the magnifying glass. Mm. So when we're looking at, are there specifics that you see with that crowd of people? There could be, but it always turns into a big gang fuck of, I'm going to go over here for a little while, and then I might come back again. I'll always keep bringing it back to, I want what's best for this person. Yeah. But the amount of different tests, um, they're very unique to that population. Sure. Because they've all been beaten up in so many different ways. Mm. Um, some of them might be uber tight in their thoracic and there might be, oh my God, he's got dropped shoulders. Mm. He's walking around like a jujitsu practitioner, knuckle dragging. Yeah. yeah. But it's not often what I see with the guys that have been doing it for a long time because a lot of them have been beaten up anyway and they're trying to do something about it. Yeah. But all of those guys, just giving them something like Turkish get-ups, goblet squats, um, something to open up the chest. I actually love using a 70-kilogram slam ball and I get them rolling out the front of their thoracic by moving the ball onto their front. Mm. Beautiful ribcage opener. Mm. Um, rolling it onto their shoulders, um, rolling it down to the belly button and the navel. It's, it's, it's the gourmet shit. Mm. Um, dark and mysterious stuff. I've waffled. No. We have daily functional that's tasks exactly I expect what people to do. That's what you have to do when you're on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> daily functional tasks I expect yeah. people to do pain-free. Um, I want sport-specific tasks or the specificity of what they're doing within their sport or their day job. I want to see those things and I want to see what's causing them pain. Mm. And I want to be able to see it clinically if I have to. Yeah. So when I look at things with the razor blade clinically, um, that's when that's the, it's almost like the last thing that I look at. Yeah. I want to look and see their broader movements first. Because when you see that jujitsu practitioner that walks in, and you can see he's got a limp. Yeah. You're like that. 
why the hell is he here? Mm. You know, why is he not trying to do something about that first? He's just yeah. going to make that worse. That's what I'm thinking when you come to me and you say, you know, I've, um, I've hurt my hip. Yeah. I've got this tournament coming up soon. And I say, Dan, how important is the tournament? You know that. It's really important. This guy called me out last time. He called me a pussy. Mm. and I would have beat him up so I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure he doesn't come to me I might have to get on my back a couple of times I don't want to but I know I'm more likely to be able to protect this injury I'm like fine do that Dan but before you go there just show me the movements that you're most concerned about you show me the movements and I do my damnedest to make sure that I can make you move easier in those positions so you're going there and they're less of a concern. I'm massively upregulating your confidence and your ability to perform. Mm. And you're going there saying, you know what? I've had a few little niggles, but you know what? I'm 50% better than what I was. Yeah. Just because I've done these things before I go to the tournament. And strength training at that stage might not even be a factor. Sure. It might be just getting you know, my own grubby mitts on your body and just doing some stuff myself. Interesting. And then if it did come towards sort of the strength, are there, are there any specific strength? Uh, obviously, there's strength is strength, like making someone strong, getting them doing basic compound movements is just always going to be the same regardless of sport. But are there any specific exercise that you would uh, give to, say, a jiu-jitsu practitioner that you wouldn't give to a boxer or uh, someone who wanted to play rugby? Um, I would love the jiu-jitsu practitioner to be doing a lot more loaded carries. Mm-hmm. So I'd love that guy to be doing a lot more, for example, you call it single-sided suitcase carries. Yeah. You could call it a weight to hold. You could call it, basically we're looking at building up that formidable um, intra-abdominal pressure and tension throughout their torso, limbs extended, your um, your ability to not be moved by exterior forces and loads. I've seen you doing like the pal-off press. Mm. So where you've got rubber bands placed around in different directions and you can kind of press and move through them. Well, I've got my own versions of those presses they're important to me because with my crumbly spine mm. that I've been told, well, I want to make sure that that thing isn't crumbling. I want to be creating my own Hadrian's Wall um, or Great Wall of China before it crumbled, before yeah. there was a problem. Well, fuck it. You know, there's a problem there now. I'm going to just put the clay back onto the wall and bring it back to its former glory and higher yeah. and stronger. And I can only do that by being creative with my own body and understanding mm. what the pussyitis is in the first place. Yeah. So with the jiu-jitsu guys, I'd like them not to be moved by the athlete who's trying to move them. They're less likely to get taken down on the ground. They're less likely to get to put in an armbar. They're less likely to kind of like be put in a disadvantageous position. Mm. I can do that by affecting their body with some loads called training. They overcome the loads. There's a great stimulus there. When they get on the mats, they're better. I give them a better grip strength. They grab hold of somebody. The person can't move. All of a sudden, they're less likely to get taken down again. Yeah. So, you know, I'm talking real layman's terms here. Which, it which just, is perfect, it, just, yeah. it just makes sense to me that Absolutely. you don't want to be moved. You don't want to give up your grip. You don't want that person moving away when you want them where they need to be. Um, all of those things will still come after the person is moving well. Yeah, that that that's that's kind of part. and you don't want to get too much into detail on the podcast because people don't understand you half can't the stuff that you're talking about. And you can't, yeah, and it's all it's individual so to the but yeah, I think uh I think that's a great um I've always said that loaded carries is a great one and that that is what you're looking to do as a grappler. You want to be able to do two things, which is you someone grabs you and they can't move you, and then you grab them and they can't move. Mm. You know? That that that's the goal. That's absolutely the goal. Mm. So uh, in in my training as well. So I'm I'm 100 percent in agreement. And that game you. of chess that you're playing with the loads in your own training, where that 
um, apparatus is trying to move you. There's no personality there like no. there is on the mats. Yeah. So you can 100% trust it and you can 100% program it in that you kind of know where you're improving. You mm-hmm. might not feel that you're improving all the time on the mats because your opponents are also getting bigger, stronger, you know, more successful at trying to move you. But yeah. you can trust your training. You can trust the load. You can trust the steel. You know, it's not going to let you down. It says 20 kilos. You've weighed it. It's 20 kilos. It's that whole Henry Rollins thing, isn't it? 200 pounds is always 200 pounds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. sorry. I don't know who that is. Yeah. But. He was, he's a, he's a, um, I believe that he's a, he's a, he's an actor and he was a rock star, I think. Um, or, or like all know, of them. I don't know if they say rock star now. He was a, he was a rock musician or mm. artist, uh, and he was big into weights and he kind of wrote, I think it was called The Iron or something like that. He wrote a very, mm. very cool, almost poem but like a story about him you know training and, and becoming the scrawny kid into this into this big tough guy which is what he is now he's a bit of a badass and it, i think it kind of finishes with 200 pounds you know people come and go but 200 pounds is always 200 pounds which is you know is you can trust it and they're not gonna inanimate objects there you won't go. let you down exactly um so what's next for you rob you're sort of saying that you're you we're talking earlier that you want to get more into sort of exploring the outside a bit yeah, that's um, that's something. After, after you, after you get into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, of course. What's next? Of course, yeah, <laughs> I'll be rolling with the mountain, <laughs> and I don't mean um, Hathor Bjornsson. Hathor Bjornsson. <laughs> well, you're talking earlier about um, uh, Jason smashing people's skulls out. Do you watch Game of Thrones? I do watch Game of Thrones. Have you seen the, the mountain? Oh, it's against against Abram. I mean that's like a, that's, that's like illegal a, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu by the way just before that's like stop. a 24 button combo <laughs> <laughs> he, like, he does that one that's the original Mortal Kombat fatality yeah, that is that that's is, the that. one that everybody wanted to hit yeah so you couldn't you might be able to do that but I wouldn't advise you do that in your first class I think <laughs> and the guy's still around has it he's been reincarnated uh, into some horrible death oh the mountain creature. has yeah. he has spoiler alert spoiler alert um but yeah, so so apart from you getting into Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, what's 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 next for you coaching wise and 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 also sort of in your own training and challenges and stuff like that? You said that you were you were doing um, uh, David Horn's record breaker. So for those who don't know, David runs these events. Uh, he runs various different Brit, uh, grip championships, mm-hmm. which is they're pretty small, but the, it's a very close knit community and people, you know, David's so respected, uh, in, in, in the grip community worldwide. He's such a legend that what, what he does in the UK in his garden kind of go travels the entire travels. world and is respected yeah. the entire world round and people all over the, the world have his equipment and train the same sort of events. Mm. Um, so you're out of interest in me. This probably isn't going to mean much to other people, but what events are you are you thinking about going to break at the? I I'd, I'd, like, I'd be there, but I've got seminars that weekend, unfortunately. Since September, right? Yeah, it's September. Yeah. I think I'm going to go for the one-handed barbell deadlift. I wanted to do it last year, and I went oh, for really? it, but unfortunately, a week before I stabbed myself in the leg with a Stanley knife. Um, How the fuck did you do that? Oh god, stupid! Some dickhead was um, <laughs> complaining about the amount of noise we we're making renovating the gym at nine in the morning. I saw his tweet go through to the cops, the local MPs, the boys' brigade, the fucking witches of Eastwick. Oh, serious? Yeah, and I saw that going through, and I was kind of like reading it. As I was, I, I love renovating, like I say. So I was renovating my gym at the time. I was just cutting some rubber strips, and I just plunged this um, out. thing into my thigh. Pulled it out, squirted a bit of blood, stood no up, way. and just said to the guys, oh, for fuck's sake. Ten hours later, after finishing my renovation, I went to A and E and got it stitched up and patched out. And um, <laughs> and I, I just said to Dave, I was like, "I'm going to come up 
But it's in a week. I've just stabbed myself with my Stanley knife. And I went up there and I, want, I needed to pull 202 kilos one-handed on the barbell deadlift. Um, so barbell in between your legs, you pick the, the 200 kilos up and then I'd get the record for that single-hand deadlift with the barbell. Two, two, 202? 202 kilos. One hand? One handed, yeah. Is it hook grip? Um, yeah, you can do if you want. Do you yeah. use hook grip? I can't even get into yeah, that position. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, yeah you have to for that. For that. Um, and is it a full deadlift? Oh, yeah. It's all the way up and you wait for the down command because really? it's horizontal. Yeah. So um, that was at the 83 kilo class. Holy shit. That's so, serious, man. Yeah. So on the day, um, I was expect- I'm expecting to do it. Um, but in the end, I only pulled 180 and I started to turn into a helter skelter. Yeah. Um, and then I went for my meat hook deadlift to improve that. I wanted to pull 300 kilos on the meat hook deadlift. I pulled 250 and it felt heavy. And yeah. I just looked at myself and went, fuck this. Why the fuck am I here? Yeah. You know, a week ago, I stabbed myself. And yeah. here I am trying to improve world <clears throat> records. Yeah. You know, it's stupid. Yeah. So this time I'm thinking it's less stupid. I'm going to go back there and try the same stuff. So I've just started working on my one hand lifts again. Um, I'm shortly going to kind of like get myself back on the meat hooks and improve my current PB of 286. And another another question um, that might not be of interest to everyone, but is interesting to me. How do you train your meat hooks? Because um, you and me received our meat hooks around about the same time and you went for a lift and I can't remember what it was. It was around about... It maybe, maybe I, I can't remember what it, what, whatever it was. Yeah. And I like equaled it or beat it by 10 kilos mm. and then like a week later you were about 50 kilos more 60 kilos more how the fuck did that happen just purely psychological yeah. advantage so i'm used to having a gym that's full of heavy shit yeah and i've got those weapons floating around and i'm able to you know i see larger guys trying to do these things mm. we have people that can currently do things in the gym that i can't do so it kind of makes you want to up your game but I know that I'm able to be really strong at the top. I I mentioned it earlier on, like one of my best lifts I've ever done was a, a partial um, kind of like deadlift. Lockout. Real, bit, yeah. real big lockout. Rack pull, rack 504 pull. kilos. Yeah. And 83 kilos, that's a savage amount of weight. So me lifting 286 kilos of meat hooks doesn't actually scare me. Mm. It's like, that's going to be really good mm. when I do that. So lifting the two hundred kilos like, for I, some I, people, I find it's just pain, isn't it? It is painful, you, you, but you feel you yeah. feel like you feel like you that the meat hooks are. For those who don't know, meat hooks are like it's essentially a two-handed vertical bar lift. Ten of millimeter about rods, ten millimeter rods. So very yeah. very tiny, um, sort of le- probably half, half the the diameter of your finger, mm. um, holding onto that and lifting up a barbell with these hooked sort of rods. Um, you just feel like your skin's going to rip off your hand. And my you? skin has ripped in the yeah. earlier days, but it doesn't rip anymore because of where I placed them as well. Where so you the, place the placement now will be right at the end of your finger joints or your fingers so from where hit- your palm yeah. hits the first set of so I'm going like here. joints. Yeah. So you're going there, it's always going to rip. Yeah. It's really fleshy there. But if you take it here in the, in the crevice of your fingers, yeah. even if it slips... It's kind of just it goes creating out, it a yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean that much. Okay. Um, because I've done lifts before and um, I'll fail the lift, and I look like I'm doing a jump when I fail the lift because I wasn't expecting sure. to fail to the fail lift. It, yeah. So it just is like I'm springing in the air after letting go of three hundred kilos. Yeah. 
Um, whereas some other people, they strain, they don't do the lift, and they show you their hands, and they look like they've done steel shredder. Mm. You know, they've got chunks missing in their hands. I'm looking at them going, shit, you are out of training for two or three weeks of those. I mean, that's not useful at all. So so the di- what, the difference is just the position that they place it in the, the hands? The difference or? is the position of the hands, and that I've got 110% belief in myself that um, I'm not going to hurt myself when I'm doing the lifts. So therefore, I feel like I'm already strong at the top. I'm not going to rip my hands. Um, I just need to concentrate on lifting the damn weight. Mm. You know, if, for me now, when I do the the meat hooks, it's like I either lift it or I don't. Yeah. If I don't lift it, it's just not the day. Yeah. But um, it's pretty. Yeah, it's, it's reasonable now. So you're going for the one hand deadlift, barbell deadlift, meat hooks, the meat hooks, and and I'd love to improve one of the current pinch records the euro or the gold euro would be too much at the moment my best on the euro is about 93 kilos um but the best on that that weight division is 99 might even be 100.2 actually might be 100.2 that's legit as fuck yeah it's like really strong for somebody who's sub 83 kilos um there are only about 50 people in the world that have ever lifted over 100 100, kilos on the euro I'm saying 50 because two years ago, David said it was less than 40. Mm. I know more people have probably done it now. So, yeah, one of the pinch ones, maybe the gold bar. It's a fairly new one. But um, those things, I'm within 10% of getting those records. So if I put a little bit of persistence behind it, then that could be really cool. Mm. You know, even traveling there and just um, hanging around with those guys. It it it? makes you stronger anyway. Yeah. Spelling, and have yeah. you uh, have you been interested in doing anything like uh, Iron Mind number three or uh, Red Bar set? I I remember. I think I've asked you this. Did you want to do the three and the bar at the same time? I did. And you wanted to do the bar um, reverse. I've done the red, and I've done harder, but I couldn't do them at the moment. So yeah. I did them, and I was like, "Yeah, I love bending all the shit." I was like, and then you're like, "Okay, well, I've done that. Now I'm, I've got this competition coming up, and I'm actually, I'm really good at that." I'm very good at being specific with my training. Yeah. So if I've got a competition coming up, I could have a hundred influences outside of it. And I'm like, no, I want to win this mm. thing. I'm not going to go and do your monkey training over here because that's going to be too expensive for me. And I'm, I haven't got time. Yeah. So I just keep that thing very specific. So when I wanted to bend the red nail, I just focused on it and I bent it. Mm. And then I kind of like at that time bent a few bolts that were a little bit nastier. And I've got them all hanging up on the wall. Yeah. When I wanted to do steel shredder, I just did it, smashed its back doors in, was very happy to meddle in it against some of the big units. Yeah. Maybe you've seen some of them, like yeah. David Horn and people. Yeah. Um, so happy to go against those guys and try and compete. But while I've got these other specific competitions going on, the number three I had to do for, um, um, there was a competition, Europe's Strongest Hands. And I got to the stage of closing the number three, but now if I went back to it again, I'd probably be closing a two. Yeah. Because I've just focused on something else. I've done both of those. And like, I I, um, I don't think that I can bend a, th- a red right now just on the fucking, I feel my hands are softer. Mm. Your hands get, when I was bending every day, mm. your hands get fucking strong and the pain tolerance mm. is just through the Look roof. The pain. And pain. the same with the number three. I, I, I like repped out uh, three, four reps on a number three. Wow. But right now, I can barely I could barely rip out five reps on a number two. Hmm. So like if you're if you're not hammering that shit daily, uh, I couldn't I couldn't close a number three um, with the credit card set, but I could close it from a deep set for reps. Hmm. Um, but 
that's going to take months to get back of like focusing every other day doing grippers. Like any skill, it fades. Yeah, but it's in, I, it. I find that it, it fades at an impressive rate. I, I guess the mm. closer you are to sort of the limit, your own limit, mm. the faster it fades down to, mm. you know, regresses back to the to, to You can the, look at it like mean. climbing a peaky mountain. Mm. You know, you get near the top, you're going to fall down a long way to start with. Yeah. But then the less peaky is at the bottom, you'll fall, you fall down, down at a slower rate. You'll yeah. probably better save yourself. Yeah. But that's like the 60 to 70%. Yeah. And then that 30%, it takes a little bit of time to get back there again. But yeah. when you've been to the top of anything, at least you know what it was like to be mm. there. Mm. And it should be easier to get back. You know back. that you can get back there, don't you? It's no mm. longer a question of uh, if, it's a question of well, when. Yeah. It's like you've overcome that thing now. So it should it should occur again. Yeah. Uh, cool, dude. Um, we spoke for uh, almost two and a half hours. Can you believe that? <laughs> can't believe that <laughs> everyone says that whenever, <laughs> whenever i say like to a couple of hours in they're like what well, that's got to be a good thing i know mate. we could it talk for is. a whole day probably. easily mate. i'd love to have you back on as well mate and i'd love that um sort of i was talking to andy earlier like next time maybe i just andy would jump in as well and the three of us can nice. have a, just have a chit chat and he's gonna make cool, cool shit to say exactly as well. mate you know, um before we go any sort of parting words from rob blair parting words yeah um It'd probably be something along the lines of, I'm definitely not a guru. I don't believe that anybody is. But um, I think the the more experienced I get at these things that we've discussed today, the more I realize that I'm really chuffed that I've done them at this stage in my life. Yeah. And I haven't got those regrets that I haven't tried to explore achieving them. And... Um, I really hope that people listening at home, they've, you know, they, they feel the same way or better. You know, perhaps you can tell me your story and I'll, I can, I'll, I'll listen, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll be chuffed to hear it because there aren't enough stories of people doing everything that they want to do and just being a respectful human being while they're achieving it. So go out there and explore your full potential. Um, you know, Arnie would say, don't listen to the naysayers. Yeah. But just do more of the things that you love mm. and get rid of the deadweight people or the deadweight situations that are holding you back. Because those things will always be there. They'll be yeah. there even when you're on your deathbed. Yeah. Just make sure they're not next to you. It's it's sort of the, that surrounding yourself with... Uh, who you surround yourself with is so important, isn't it? Mm. And it's sort of... I, I think that's one of the really the hardest things for people to achieve in life is being really selective with who they spend their time with mm. because you are if you look at the like you, you're, you're saying the five people that you're going to sit but in 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 heaven but even like the five people that you spend the most hours with every week mm. you are going to start to become like them and they're going to start to become like you that mm. that's like the most you know we are a product of our environment but um one of the main parts of our environment is the people that you associate with as mm. being social creatures. Mm. That is what makes up the majority of your environment. It's not the size of your house or the car that you drive, but actually the mm. people that you're sitting in the house with or that you're driving around in your car that mm. make up the majority of the environment. And it's, and it's a really tough thing because you have this, it, it has a, such a huge effect, but what else has that effect that you have such an emotional connection with as well? You know that it's very hard for people to hear sometimes that actually their best mate or their girlfriend or their boyfriend might actually be mm, the one bad. that's stopping them from doing what they that, what they could achieve in life. Some of my clients I see more than my f friends and family, mm. so I've got to choose good clients. Yeah, we're saying, can you afford it? Can you afford not to get rid of yeah. those people that shouldn't be there? But what have you ever struggled to ditch 
dead weight, as you put it. Has that ever been something that you've struggled with in, 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 in your life? All the time. Yeah, yeah. all the time. And, and what sort of, how can people, what, what advice do you have for people that, that perhaps listening to this right now and they're thinking, you know, the majority of people will be, well, if, if, if someone is listening to this and they have that person in their life, chances are they're thinking of a person right now that actually maybe this person isn't the best person for me to be hanging around but for, you know I've been mates with them for 15 years mm. or uh, you know this or that or they you know I, whatever what advice do you have for them or is it just merely to understand the detrimental it, effect that having these people around you can have it's if that person's been around for a while expect it to take a little while for that person to fizzle out of your life um it's not as easy as just getting a scalpel and cutting them away Mm. and um, in some cases it might not be fair to do that it might be a family member that relies upon you so that person needs to try and think of better influences that can support them that might be hanging around in a different social circle maybe it's doing more jujitsu mm. um, yeah, that's 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 one of my f- favorite things about doing jujitsu which is I've always felt that I've surrounded myself with some of the best people because I'm Every day I'm spending my evenings, every single day I'm spending my evenings in a group of people who are, who is also spending their evenings trying to get better at a sport. Mm. And it's the same, you know, you, you spend all of this time at Commander Temple where you're spending huge amounts of your day around people in a building that is a church to improve in themselves. Mm. Right. Or if you, when you go and walk in the, in, 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 in fields or you go and explore, you go through the Sahara, you know, when you're walking through and you're doing the marathon de Sabs, you're walking with 1200 people who have flown out to fucking Morocco to mm. walk through the Sahara for six days. Oh, it's empowering. You know, these are all, the, I, I think one of the, surely one of the easiest ways to surround yourself with good people is to find where group, good people go to and start going to those places as well. And that may take a lifetime, mm. depending on how niche that group is that you're looking for. Yeah. You know, and um, you know, some people are trying to find a life partner and say they'll never find them. Yeah. You know, the person exists, but they're never going to find them by doing what they're currently doing. Mm. If they haven't found the person yet, they need to um, just keep actively looking. Yeah. And I don't know what that looking looks like for that person. But, you know, the great thing is that, you know, most of us are here for a little bit of time and we can explore. And if you feel like you're exploring, even if you don't find them, at least you are fucking doing something about yeah. it. So sitting down on your fat, useless ass, eating Doritos. Yeah. You know, never be the Dorito guy. Yeah. <laughs> what a way to end, though. <laughs> don't be the Dorito guy. I fucking love Doritos, man. Um, Everybody does. <laughs> that's, that's the, the, that's the reason why he's the guy. <laughs> Uh, God knows where they put on those. (laughs) Um, Where can everyone find you? So let's hit me up. You have a website? Yeah, we've got um, bestronger.co.uk. So that's bestronger.co.uk. Okay, bestronger.co.uk. You've got uh, Instagram. Commando Temple. So that's um, Instagram. And then you've got me, Silverback Blair. Okay. And you're on on Facebook as well, right? Yeah, I'm on Facebook too. So basically, so. just just search for the Commando Temple. The usual search for Rob Blair, and um, yeah, they've got a genuine. Where, where's your gym? It's in Deptford, South East London. It's so, one stop from uh, Cannon Street. If you if you guys live there, I've been a couple of times. I went there. You've run strongman tournaments there, mm. and I've just been there for to see the gym. It's a ridiculous. It is 
unlike any facility you will have been to before um it is really really cool and really a uh, expression of your own personality i think which um you've got across i think quite nicely over the last Thank couple you. of hours Thanks. um but yeah, anyone who's around the area, go check it out. Go say hi to Rob. Go say hi to all of the guys down there who are very, very cool. Go see your puppy, right? You bring your puppy to the gym? 15 weeks old now. You Eating still, everything. So if you you're getting, coming down, just you put getting, on your gothic uh, plate mail. Are you getting full night's sleep or is it still pissing through the it's, night? It's partial. partial. Yeah, I mean, I was up at four in the morning this morning, but... It's like a baby, um, isn't it? I've got her doing some pretty cool things yeah? already. It's Alsatian, right? Alsatian, yeah, yeah. Black German Shepherd. Awesome. So she can pour down stay come unless of course there are other dogs around she doesn't do anything yeah and um i mean she's eating like a whole chicken in two days <laughs> do you feed it you feed a uh, we're raw. trying to go raw we're yeah in. raw as much as possible yeah her food yesterday was a mixture of raw and some high protein dry mix but with yeah. like a couple of raw eggs in there including the shells with frozen peas i was looking at it thinking you're eating better than me yeah I mean, this is like the, the gourmet stuff that yeah. if I could just get my clients eating this stuff, I mean, they'd just have the same vertical leap that she has in 15 <laughs> weeks. <laughs> Tremendous. And the coat is so sleek and shiny. Yeah. Yeah. You want to shave her and wear it. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. I don't know. My, did you bring her to the gym? She's, oh, she's in the gym with us every day. Really? Yeah, and every she's, day she's, she goes she's with chill. us. She's chill. She's chill. Yeah. Oh, tires getting dropped on the floor everything my, my dog is a fucking lunatic I, I used to try and bring him to the gym he was just insane so um uh, yeah he's crazy maybe one day when he's calmed down he's had his balls cut off so hopefully he chills out a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh rob that's another you. tactic for clients there you go cut, cut their balls <laughs> off and then they're a little bit more compliant uh rob really really appreciate you coming down Thank you, and, mate. Uh, or coming up in this case and um and, and coming on the podcast i'd love to get you on again really really appreciate Thanks. it and um hopefully i'll awesome. get some training in with, with you soon as well well i'll let you know when um hopefully if i come back here again i'll have got my ass on the mats dude and if are, i haven't that's, are, the, that's the accountability that we're talking about 100 percent. if you're ever if you ever want to come down for a class then um it would mm. be awesome to have you on the mats as well thanks a lot awesome cool. brother cheers mate so guys that is all for this week i hope you enjoyed that episode i certainly did uh rob is a very very cool guy who i really enjoy chatting to and hopefully i uh, we get to have many more conversations on here in the future as always, you can contact the podcast at podcast at raspberryape.com. Um, you can also find me on um, Instagram at raspberry underscore ape. And you can search for me, Daniel Strauss, on Facebook. Also, make sure that you are subscribed. If you are on, if you have an iPhone, you go to your podcast app. You first go and leave a glowing review of the podcast and then make sure that you subscribe so you can wake up with this podcast on your phone ready to go every single week. Uh, it's also on Stitcher and on SoundCloud, which I'm, I think you can subscribe to, but I really, I really don't know how those crazy alien technology work. Uh, anyway, people, take it easy. Have a good one and I will see you next time.